welcome to November 22nd, 1990 in the Legacy Series. This is Hartford, Connecticut. It is the Survivor Series. Um, in one way, it is a pay-per-view or an event for me, much like many that have come before in that there are some things I'm excited for, and then it kind of falls off the cliff somewhere. But there's something a little bit deeper that I just want to start to talk about, start to claw at. I haven't researched it. I haven't studied it. I'm not making great declarations, but something happened at Survivor Series that has a significance that will be with us for the rest of the Legacy Series. Two things happened um, significant, I guess, in the buildup to Survivor Series. There was going to be a birth and there was going to be somebody who was going to work uh, with Ted DiBiase. So we see at this event um, and a gigantic egg that hatches new life and it dies within seconds after the birth. And then we see a man who will come to us already dead. A man who by all measures could have been booed out of the building or misunderstood or never worked out. But from that death, a paradox, because there will be life in that career. There will be newness in that career, unlike almost anything we've ever seen. Ladies and gentlemen, it shocked me to my core to watch the debut of The Undertaker, to see him not only what he did to Dusty Rhodes, but what he brought out of Brett the Hitman heart. It made me wonder. It made me ask a question. Who is the leader of the new generation? I've always thought in my mind it's Bret Hart. He's the one that's going to be there before, during, after. He's kind of the face. But WWF and Vince McMahon will let me know that it's Diesel, a guy who will hold the title for a year. But I felt like when I watched that show, that the man who had the keys to the kingdom who would unlock the door was the undertaker. This is a man who will show up and vanquish Dusty Rhodes. He will bring the best out of Bret Hart. You remember, Bret Hart is a wrestler. WWF has tried to push, but the fans have said no thanks. They broke up the Hart Foundation to push Bret Hart and people in the business who love Bret Hart, who aren't even sliding Bret Hart, will tell you they put them back together because they did not get over separately. And yet, for whatever WrestleMania 4 or any past event was supposed to be for Bret Hart, I felt like Survivor Series came closer. And it came closer at the hands of a man who would silence the arena, much like Sergeant Slaughter later in the show but so much different. There was an awe and a reverence even in the debut that I've not seen since Andre the Giant. See, a leader is one who is in charge or a leader is one that leads and guides. And so we can still say when we get there, it might be Bret Hart, it might be Diesel, it might be somebody else, but the one who leads and guides, Bret Hart was there first, Shawn Michaels was there second, Undertaker was there third. Guess who gets to the world title first? It's the Undertaker. And guess who he beats? The man who Bret Hart is still upset who would not put him over. Hulk Hogan.
It's an unbelievable thing to think about the fact that in one year, the Undertaker will do what the Ultimate Warrior has done. But Hulk Hogan is not going to uh, come back to the ring and give him the belt knowing that the fans are going to then turn on him. He's going to go to the back and say he dropped me on my head wrong and try to get him thrown out uh, the old-fashioned backstage way. Because the Undertaker, you see, is not affected by Hulkamania. The Undertaker, yes, Hulkamania lives forever. The Undertaker's already dead. He doesn't play that game. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need Hulk Hogan like Warrior needs Hulk Hogan, like Bret Hart needs Hulk Hogan, because he is one of those guys that they'll always say, oh, he did not need the belt. I hate that statement. Oh, Roddy Piper didn't need the belt. Jake Roberts didn't need the belt. The Undertaker didn't need the belt. But in a way... I now understand that statement differently because The Undertaker, in a way, doesn't need the belt because he's already had the belt. By the time he gets there to this new generation that is coming, everything around us in this main event is stale and dead. A new generation is coming, even if they never called it a new generation. But the man who is going to lead the way, the last shall be the first. The dead will bring life. Do not overlook the man from Death Valley. He's going to fade away. He's going to do his own thing. He's going to be over to the left, over to the right. But he is the man who is leading and guiding. And it is weirdly Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon Diesel that will follow. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Survivor Series. The hype is back. Grab your shovel because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God, my learned colleague. He is Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome indeed to Survivor Series 1990. When I started watching wrestling in 2003, if you can't believe it, this era seemed distant beyond belief. Ancient times, dinosaurs, cavemen, bronze tools, whatever you would want to say that brings to mind the ancient days. That was in my mind for this period, but there were always two guys who stuck around for a long time that created a one-to-one connection from then to even farther back in this time. Those two pen, of course, are on this show, Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, two guys who will span eras, who will make connections across generations like very few others have been able to do in the WWE. Um, I'm excited to talk about them. I'm excited to talk about this show, both the good and the bad. Uh, yeah, it is very big stuff. We have The Undertaker coming out, and he will make such an impression that even when the WWE has long stopped caring about Survivor Series, every year we'll see people clamoring, oh, well, Undertaker can't retire. You know, even if he's falling apart, he has to come out at Survivor Series. And to them, it means something. It means a whole lot, actually, to the point where WWE actually has to take notice of that. So, uh, yeah, we're at a very significant event, one that will make a big impression on people. Uh, It will make an impression positively in that way. It will make a negative impression in other ways. It will perhaps contribute to those empty seats in the L.A. Coliseum or whatever that big arena was going to be called before they had to cancel on that. Um, It will also see, uh, (laughs) I think, 
maybe uh, if not the first and certainly one of the clearest moments where something which is not supposed to be booed is booed almost immediately and you have already made reference to that so we will speak on all of that we'll speak on the unique and never repeated even though i kind of wish it would be theme of the night the ultimate survivor match which is coming along later which is a great idea and i will have very little good to say about when we get to the execution and then we'll also be talking about a bonus match mr perfect versus the big boss man from the main event from the next night airing on that show and uh, that i'm extremely excited to talk about so we have more than enough to go over for the next few hours thank you for joining us mystic Let's get the show on the road. Absolutely. This is a moment, as I said, in history. Um, I have never been a fan of The Undertaker in that like, I followed his career. He was always there, so I never dug deep. I never disliked him. I never liked him. He was almost just something that came with a WWF fandom. So I think in some ways my ignorance to The Undertaker is going to allow some moments of being impressed beyond measure and it just blew my mind as you said that so we got undertaker and bret hart in the same match and it's going to be a breakout performance for bret hart and the undertaker and then sean is not going to have a breakout performance but he's in the next match and he's you know he's one of the guys that lasts a long time so you kind of see without them beginning to even make the choice like who is coming up and i think we've talked about this in other weeks but you start to learn when you watch this that they, they didn't just make a decision based on steroids or Hulk Hogan being unpopular <laughs> or like we want a new generation or we want to push guys who are smaller or this, that or the other. There were guys who were kind of obviously going to do something special one way or another. And it's not simply a WWF creation that happened in 92 or 93 or 94. Mm. Absolutely. I think um, you can tell it's been on the drawing board for a while. I think you can see it through this show that they do have an idea, at least, of uh, who the next people up are going to be, at least uh, in that high intercontinental division. I have no idea if they're thinking at this time. Yeah, Shawn Michaels, a future WWF champion. I can tell you they're probably not. They may not even be thinking that with Bret Hart. They may not even be thinking that with Undertaker, but they know that these guys are going to be valuable and they are giving them spotlight and they are definitely setting up for bigger things for them. And uh, it's going to get a whole lot bigger for these guys. That's for sure. It's a night, according to my eyes and ears, where Ultimate Warrior was more popular than Hulk Hogan and not because Ultimate Warrior was more popular than usual. It felt like a stale or flat night, at least for me, for Hogan. Um, It was a night where Sergeant Slaughter gets again almost no reaction and like you said we're, we are on the the pathway we are on the road to supposedly filling a hundred thousand seats and nobody cares about what wwf is doing in this main event right now mm-hmm. it's a strange strange time but i'm trying to tell you that part of the reason these three stand out especially brett and undertaker on the show is because they were making a little bit of noise. But the other reason they stand out to me is because the fullness of staleness has kind of just found its way here. And you don't need a steroid scandal 
or anything else to understand that some of this stuff is just not going to work for years and years to come. Mm, absolutely. Um, they are earning those empty seats in that L.A. Uh, stadium. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it's funny because, yeah, I've, I've been thinking on this show, but even a little bit before, I'm like, man, did the steroid scandal already start and I missed it? Mm -hmm. Like, is Vince McMahon on trial and not paying attention to anything <laughs> that's happening in his company? Because it kind of feels that way. The only thing worse than Vince not paying attention is him paying too much attention, I guess. So maybe that's the problem. Um, yeah. Uh, Hogan and Warrior, they're going to stand tall at the end of the night. But, man, I don't know. If you were a new fan, I'm not sure you could tell why. I, mm -hmm. They're still over. You know, you couldn't doubt that. But, man, well, I'm going to have a lot to say about okay. that when we get to it. <laughs> yeah. It's... There's two different ways to say, like, well, if I was booking something, there's like a fantasy way where you would book everything and everything would make a billion dollars because, my, my God, these ideas sound good in my head. <laughs> and then there's like this honest way, like if I was part of a business with all these egos and I did not have hindsight, I would probably make just as many or far more mistakes than people who actually are booking. And I'm speaking to the latter right now, I'm speaking to the reality version, and I can still tell you without hindsight, without you know, fantasy. If I was working for Vince McMahon and I was in these arenas, two things I would say for sure. Hulk Hogan should not win the Royal Rumble in 1991 and we should not be anywhere near Sergeant Slaughter versus Hulk Hogan. If anything, we should end the Sergeant Slaughter angle yesterday. Those are two things that I know without a doubt that I would say. Number one, because I think a lot of it's just stupid. But number two, because the fans... <laughs> do not seem to really be in it. And it's also gross and offensive in some ways. But, you know, all that aside, I don't understand what they think is happening. I think you said it best, and we'll get into this, that it feels like Vincent Mann is already somewhere else. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. Um, it definitely feels strange in the WWF at this moment. I will, I will say this. I feel like, and I'll make my case this later, but I feel like, they they have already figured out that the Ultimate Warrior uh, is not working as the champion. Um, and uh, unfortunately, they're not going to take any quick steps to change that. But uh, by the time we do our next show, he will be losing that title. And uh, I cannot imagine that that was the original plan. I'm looking forward to what you have to say. Um, I have this in my notes somewhere, and I'll say it, and then we'll get into it. But somewhere I said, this reminds me of the worst of WCW because... The praise I always give WWF is they have the same owner. So it feels like we're watching the same company year in and year out, whether we like it or we don't like it. WCW, you would start one year with a like even say 94 is like Steamboat, Austin, uh, Flair. Mm. The end of the year is Hogan and Beefcake. You know, that's what WCW is because there was just no one person in charge. Well, if I was watching at WrestleMania six and it's babyface versus babyface, Hulk Hogan versus the Warrior, and then a year later it's like um, Hogan Slaughter Middle East controversy, that feels like two different people running the company to me. <laughs> right? Did uh, did did Jim Hurd take over or something? Right. <laughs> like something weird happened here. No, I totally get you. Um, yeah, the similarities, they remain enough to tell you. But, yeah, like, this does not feel like it did a few years ago. That's for sure. Um, very strange. 
So Vince McMahon at the beginning of this show, uh, voiceover says that Survivor Series is the epitome of tag team competition. Um, so we got that going for us. We got a mystery opponent who is hyped. Uh, that's happening. And then we got many tag teams with many gimmick names that we'll get into. Calling the show is Gorilla Monsoon and Roddy Piper. And as I mentioned, there is a gigantic egg that they have been hyping in the weeks before the show. Oh, God, that egg. I, <laughs> I, I don't even know what I'm going to be able to say about it. I'm going to leave it alone for now. All I saw was a platform with an egg, and I thought... Will it be better or worse than the platform with the bench press? <laughs> I'm very curious to know what the verdict will be. <laughs> so we go up. Uh, we're, we'll go back to Gene in a moment. We're, we're, what we're going to see is the perfect team taking on the ultimate warriors. And Miz fans already hit it. The winners will go on to a final Survivor Series matchup. They will. A great idea that I was excited to see play out and very disappointed in the execution. But I still love the idea. I wish it would come back and be done properly, but I'm not holding my breath at this point in time. I think another small sign of just how this era is not 1987, for example. You know, we were talking about it's not bad guys versus good guys. It's not baby faces versus heels. It is narrative versus narrative, and it's so rich. Now it's so bad guy versus good guy that we don't really even have to explain that if one team wins, they go to the bad guy team. And if one team wins, they go to the good guy team. So I think it also could have been better if there was a different way. Like, you know, you don't just go to the good guy or the bad guy team at the end. Right. They never even tried to explain it. It was just a matter of course, I guess it's what locker room you dress in, but still like they could have chosen their team or something. I don't, I don't even know, but, um, yeah, they they don't put a whole lot of effort into it, which which will bear through to the end of the night. So yeah, so Gene Oakland is back there with uh, the LOD, the Texas Tornado, and the heavyweight champion, the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, Ultimate Warrior is back there, and he's like, arr, 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 like baring <laughs> his teeth at the ceiling, and he's pulling faces, and uh, he talks about. All night he talks about this. I don't know what it was about. He's talking about skeleton sacrifices tonight. And yeah. if you can make heads or tails of that, feel free to let me know. Or maybe don't, because I don't know if I want to know. So. Yeah, I can't read my writing. I wish I could. He says there's no poison and no something to cure. And I can't remember what. Either It either meant something that I didn't understand or it didn't mean what I think he wanted it to mean. But it was just like one of those. You always think, like, because he. Even in a good promo, you're rarely completely surprised. Like, you know where the punch is coming or where they're going because there's, like, narrative and story and you know how to follow it. And you always think with him, either I can't understand him or I kind of understand and here's where he's going to punch, but it's not going to hit very hard. But sometimes it's just like, I think he said the opposite of what he should have said to make it mean something. I don't know if he knows what he's saying. And it's just, it's just one of those. I wrote bad promo down here. And I think, <laughs> I think that's just what it is. I mean, redundant, I would think. Um, yeah. Uh, this also goes to your point that clearly they, someone was asleep at the switch because Carrie Von Eric is here standing next to Ultimate Warrior. And, man, you slap a little paint on him. Like, they're wearing the same gear almost. They have the same build, the same looking face, kind of long face. And just, yeah, they, they're just like the same guy almost. So I don't know what's up with that. 
yeah, it, it's an interesting night um, in that regard with this team because um, Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Eric was the modern day warrior. Um, the, the LOD is the Road Warriors. Um, and this is the night that on the back of his trunks, um, the Ultimate Warrior will have the only warrior written on the back of his trunks. <laughs> what, what a captain he is. That's, um, well, I guess nobody else got to bring their warrior name in. So that has to be intentional, right? I, I would think. I don't know how it's not. That's insane. I can't even, I didn't even notice that. I didn't think about it, but wow. <sighs> I don't All know right. if that's WWF or Ultimate Warrior, but that is so pathetic. And the fact that they may, they they would not let him use the warrior name when they were, like, coming up with an idea because of those names, and then they realized the Ultimate Warrior can make him better than all the other warriors. So there's no way... There's no way that that this is not intentional. But you know what does it do? What does I don't? Yeah. Okay. It's so dumb. I hate that story, and I I don't doubt that it's true. It's just like you know, when I was a kid, I would play like on the playground, and we would think of like cool names for ourselves. That's kind of the logic we would use. But it's not. No, that's not one of those nice childhood memories. That's like, wow, we were really stupid when we were kids. So, all yeah. right, there you go. It's more of a sign, too, that Ultimate Warrior is not as successful as you want him to be because what makes him the Ultimate Warrior should be the fact that he's the WWF champion who beat Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania six when nobody else beats Hulk Hogan, that he has the whole 90s in his hands if he wants it. Like, Hulk and Animal are never going to be world champion all throughout the 90s. Texas Tornado probably is not going to be. So he's already the ultimate warrior. The fact that you have to write it on your trunks as a, almost a statement against the people standing around you is actually more confirmation that this is not working out and you are not the ultimate warrior. I've felt it before, but man, I was feeling it especially tonight. I can't wait till this guy uh, blows up and gets fired or quits or whatever the hell he did. He needs to just get the hell out of here. I'm so tired of him. Yeah. That's another thing I was thinking about with The Undertaker is that, you know, um, even if he's going to win the world title outside of the new generation, Brett's going to win it later. But you also got to think about Warrior. So. You know, like, is Warrior still the successor? Well, Undertaker is going to deal with the Ultimate Warrior and Papa Shango. Like, we know the Ultimate Warrior can't handle the stuff that the Undertaker's doing, so Undertaker is superior to him. You know, Sid Justice is going to rise up before the new generation. So is he going to be the guy? Well, you know what? He's going to come in contact with the Undertaker, and the Undertaker is going to deal with him. So there's all these guys. This is another. I think this is more what I'm trying to say about the Undertaker and being a different kind of leader. Um, anyone who has ever had an animal in their house because it kills bugs or other kinds of something else you don't want in your house, I think that's what The Undertaker is for the WWF. If so, he will be asleep at the switch as well uh, down the line. But certainly, if we can credit him for getting rid of uh, some of these people that you mentioned, I will be glad to do so. It's just interesting, though, because he is part of the reason that a warrior is going to fall, at least from a storyline point of view, because we're going to discover that there's something the ultimate warrior cannot handle, you know, and it is that kind of, you know, wrestler. He's going to be the one who defeats Sid at a WrestleMania when Sid is just so dominant in WWF. Like he is a Sid is a successful WWF star that they just love to push to the world title. And then <laughs> Diesel. Diesel is going to be that one year title reign. You know, it's going to be interesting later. I can't wait to finish Diesel's title reign just to talk about Warrior 
as Champ versus Diesel. But guess what? When Diesel's like, I'm just an opportunist and I'm going to go wherever the money is. Well, you're not going to get out of this company without going through the Undertaker who's going to lay you to rest. So <laughs> a lot of the worst of the worst of the worst. And I'm not even sure. I don't want to, I don't want to provoke you here, but I don't even know if I would put Sid in that category. But uh, a lot of these guys um, will have to go through the Undertaker and he will do that to them. <laughs> we'll see what happens with Sid. Um, I probably wouldn't have said so once upon a time, but now, honestly, I would take Sid over the Warrior, so, yeah. you know, that, that'll that tell you something, if you've ever listened to me talk about Sid, so... And Sid was the lowest of the low when we started WCW, and I mean, if I was, I, I didn't have that hatred for Sid, but if you, if you were just asking me as a casual fan who's better, Sid or the Warrior, like, I would think three times the one, it has to be Warrior better than, because Warrior, you know, he can move around and he can do stuff and he's over... Unless Sid really, really just messes things up, there ain't many people coming close to this Ultimate Warrior title, right? No, it's been awful. Sid, um, <laughs> for all his flaws, Sid actually went up slightly as I watched more of him, which I did not expect. He's still very low on my list, but I, I can now give him a little bit of credit for the things he's done well. Uh, Ultimate Warrior, though, has done nothing but plummet every time I've watched him. He shows me almost nothing redeeming, and he really may be just the worst. Like, he's below everyone at this point, I think. Man, this is why you have to listen to the Legacy series, because <laughs> nothing is ever fully set in stone. We are always open uh, to slight changes. Uh, the doc from the doc says stop by lopforums.com to tell us in part he has no idea how we're going to respond to Bret Hart as world champion. Bret Hart is the man. Well, guess what? <laughs> I said in response, I have no idea how I will respond because we never know how we're going to respond until we see this stuff in front of us in context in the uh, kind of straight line of history that is the Legacy series. Absolutely. Man. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It is a different experience watching it this way as opposed to just uh, cherry-picking moments in time. I think this tells you a lot more and allows us, hopefully, to uh, develop more nuanced opinions. So, yes, we will see what that is as we get to it. Speaking of LOPForums.com, I do really just want to thank those who voted for us uh, for the third year in a row for one of our shows to be uh, the top program on LOP Radio. It's really gratifying to know that there are a lot of people out there who still really enjoy the show. So thank you for listening and for voting or for listening even if you didn't vote. Um, it is a pleasure to do this show, Ultimate Warrior or not. <laughs> Absolutely. This has been one of the most consistent bright spots in my life over and over again. Everything else seems to rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall, but the Legacy Series has been consistent. The listeners have been consistent. Uh, even the product is not consistent, but we <laughs> find ways uh, to pull it up to the line when it falls under it, but this has been an honor. It's been amazing to work with Miz fans, so I am gratified as well uh, to have seen that. A lot of people asked for WWF, the Legacy Series, when we tried to give a bunch of things that were counterfeits to them. So I'm <laughs> glad that people are enjoying the experience. Indeed. I'm very glad we were able to get back to this. Oh, uh, it's great stuff. Okay. No matter how much we talk about other things, we still have to return to the fact that the Ultimate Warrior is lead. That's another thing. The Warrior runs in front. He, we, I, I define leader uh, to start the show. Well, a leader, uh, let me find my definition again. 
one that leads or guides. So they go before you. So what does it mean when a leader goes before you with a statement on the back of his trunks that makes you feel less than you are? <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, I don't think we can um, doubt for a second that Warrior is not a good team player or a good leader yeah. to anyone. Um, it's crazy, though. I was thinking about this uh, a minute ago, not to divert us again, but we've had so much consternation and hand wringing on this show about like how do we explain this reign of the warrior how do we talk about it even why did they put him in that role because he can't do stories he can't do anything really interesting in that regard and yet i'm remembering even on this show and many times we referenced that he will do this thing with jake roberts with the undertaker it will be a good story it will be very interesting it will not pay off because warrior will will throw his fit and be gone from wrestling um, but like it, it, it was possible, you know, we're going to see that we're going to see the match with Savage. And I, I don't even know if that story will compel us or not, but we know that the match will compel us. So like these things were possible. So rather than just go in a circle forever, I have to turn around and I really have to blame the company. I think twice as much now for really just doing nothing with this title reign. So it's bizarre. Like you wouldn't know that he was champion based on this opening match. Maybe not even by the end of the night. So it it really is a ridiculous situation. Well, we've seen enough years now consistently that we have to blame the WWF. I think more than not. I still can't say more than the Warrior because <laughs> in order to in in order to say that, I would have to see them give him a storyline and see how he does as world champion. But you cannot deny the fact. That you complained that aside from Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage was not getting the kind of storylines that he should have as a world champion. Mm -hmm. Then Hulk Hogan wins the world title, and what does he get? He gets uh, the Brutus Beefcake, Zeus, Randy Savage feud. Like <laughs> they weren't good storylines either. And now Ultimate Warriors champion, and he's not getting good storylines. So we are three world champions into lazy, sorry, pathetic story time booking. No kidding. It's telling me very strongly that the only people getting good booking are the ones doing it themselves, because we have a great storyline with Dusty Rhodes going on. We have a great storyline with Jake Roberts going on. Uh, probably a few others as well. We'll cover Bobby Heenan and uh, Big Boss Man have a great story going on. So some people are getting good booking, but man, are they just doing it themselves? Like, is anyone even helping them at this point? So I don't know. It's a very strange time for creative in this company. Yeah, I know when I go to my notes, two things are happening. Mr. Perfect is the wrestling machine. He is John the Baptist declaring that the Ultimate Warrior is not the IC champion, and there is coming a an IC champion who will lead us away from that. And Ted DiBiase, Benjamin, shout out to Benjamin Button. Ted DiBiase yeah. is having his MVP year right now. So those are two things I see. And then, as you said, there's Bossman. There's other guys, but again, not, I don't know because – are they making their own way? Yes, in part, but also they kind of got good storylines. So I, you know, Ted, Ted DiBiase and Bossman is a good storyline. You know, um, Dusty Rhodes and Ted DiBiase is a good storyline. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I really wonder: Are they doing it themselves? Because Dusty, we know, has a very creative mind. He probably has input on his stuff. Jake Roberts, we know, is very creative. Uh, he was going to take over in Pat Patterson's spot in 92, yeah. but they, you know, maybe screwed him out of it. And there's a whole story there, but very creative. He has a really good storyline. Uh, Bobby Heenan, we know, was willing to offer ideas and do all this stuff. He probably had a lot to do with his storyline. So I don't know. Is it only the people who can sort of 
make their own way, and everyone else is stuck with either nothing or the frickin' Sergeant Slaughter thing. I don't know. It's very strange, though. And then that also begs the question is, some of these things that we are saying are not good storylines. Do they think they're good story? Like, do, do they think that they're about to hit it with the Sergeant Slaughter Hulk Hogan storyline? Like, that's a great storyline. I oh, don't know. I, I think that they thought it was brilliant, and by yeah. they, maybe I just mean Vince. But I thought he, my impression is he thought he had the greatest idea of all time. Like, this was going to be just an amazing storyline that would uh, that would provoke people and and make them you know, hunt for Sergeant Slaughter's blood in the streets and just, like, they would give anything to see somebody defeat this guy. And, of course, that is not what will happen. And Vince McMahon will uh, estimate the wrestling fan's intelligence a little too low, a mistake he will make uh, more than once. But um, it's definitely my impression that he thought this was going to be just, like, the most incredible thing that ever happened. (laughs) There's more than one way to be provoked. They're not always good for the company doing the provoking. (laughs) Very true. Very true. This is it's garbage, and we'll get to it. But like right now, I'd rather be the ultimate warrior with no feud than going into that feud. So, <laughs> and he got Savage, and that's another thing. That's another good feud, and another good story that's coming, though. Yeah, I reserve judgment on that a little, just because. I... Like, there's something good about it, definitely, but I also feel like so little has been put into it. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll speak more on that when we get to uh, Savage's promo. All right. So, uh, they're still running to the ring. It's the longest run the Ultimate Warrior has ever done, apparently. Oh, my. Are we going to let them arrive? All right, yes. They they, 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 they arrive to the ring. So. Uh, boo. Okay, so, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> perfect thing out with Demolition and, you know... Uh, when you're a tag team and you can fill three out of four slots, you know you become a gimmick. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, as I prophesied, Demolition, uh, they don't really matter anymore. Um, this is the last ever appearance of Axe in this match. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, if you look closely, you will notice that he did not try very hard with his uh, makeup or his hair, uh, as he usually mm-hmm. does. So, clearly, he, he was on his way out, you know, it's your last day of work, you're not going to put in your best effort, uh, it is what it is, so, so yeah, this is a match that will say goodbye to uh, one of my favorite guys of the last few years in uh, Demolition Axe. Yeah, man, that's sad, I did not know that. Yeah. They feel like a picture of WWF, how I felt like in 87 to now, and that it's, a lot. there's a lot of sameness, like, hey, it's still Demolition, like, you know, blah, 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 but it's also not the same. And so, yeah. I don't know. A lot is fading away. Demolition. This is so insulting. I've never seen this before where they are the WWF team, but they just want to be reminded a million times that they are inferior, I guess, on their way out the door. <laughs> I don't know what the story is exactly, how they got on Vince's bad side, but they must have pissed him off somehow for him to put over outsiders. Uh, over them so strongly because yeah that is not the wwf way usually it is not but man it's been two events in a row i believe so yeah well it's not gonna get better yeah demolition um they have seen their last hurrah of relevance don't worry about that this is how bad the booking is for warrior though and warrior is popular i think he's more popular as i said than hogan here maybe but yeah it hit me at first when i first saw this i was like mr perfect's in a program with the ultimate warrior and we've not been covering it but no, Texas Tornado, the Intercontinental <laughs> Champion, is in a program 
with Mr. Perfect. Ultimate Warrior is in a th- uh, is in a six man tag program with Demolition. <laughs> Incredibly so, and it, it's a strange night for the booking also because uh, you would think that maybe Randy Savage would be in a match with the Ultimate Warrior, like one of these Survivor Series yeah. matches, and yet I'm kind of just now realizing Randy Savage will not be in any match at all, which seems wild to me that you would have this man available for a pay-per-view and just be like, nah, we don't need him. I don't think he'll actually wrestle at the Royal Rumble either. He'll attack the Warrior, he'll leave the building, he'll miss his spot in the Rumble. God, do we have only one Randy Savage match left before he retires? Good God. Wow. He's been on the booking decline. Like it's one, of the, it's been one of the hardest things to track because he has not decreased, and even his gimmick has not decreased. Yeah. But there is still a like a downtick every single show where Savage seems to be less prioritized again and again and again to the point that even when he's there, it doesn't really feel like he's there. It's very strange. You you could be forgiven if you thought he was like. 45 and had to retire like not yes. from the way he acts but from the way they book him like you think oh well he just can't go anymore but jesus man like he'll be having great matches uh not 10 years from now but like seven you know years from yeah. now at least so it's it's ridiculous and it's a weird thing they seem to have always thought that he was old and needed to retire <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why as soon as I I warned everybody, as soon as they slap that uh, shirt on him and he keeps it on in his yeah. matches, you know they're gonna treat him different. So, ah man, it, it's a strange. We got a lot. To, we got a lot that we're dealing with, and and then we got Randy Savage, you know, about to retire, and yet, let's say two years from now, Survivor Series '92 is gonna be a bunch of guys who are barely established. It's going to be like Brett perfect and razor. And the only like guy from the past is Randy Savage who's wrestling. So like <laughs> anybody who gets this idea that, Oh, on WWF, they just had it together and always knew what they were doing. And it's always going in a certain direction. Yeah. It's just not true because there's a lot of like, move this out, move it back in, try this. No, try that. This works. No, it doesn't. That works. No, sure. You know, it's kind of all over the place at times in a, in a weird way. Yeah, very strange. I think we are two years away from WIF, just randomly for no reason, giving up on Randy Savage again, because um, he will have that great relevance in 92, and it will be a great year, and then, then the clock will strike midnight onto 1993, <laughs> and they will be like, well, great career, Randy, thank you, that's all, go away, please, forever, never bother us again, you know, go to the booth where you belong, and it will just be madness to think that that is what their plan is, but that's what it's going to be. So, so we will see what that looks like. Yeah. Meanwhile, his plan is let me put over Bret Hart and let Shawn Michaels retire me. And I like, know. Not, inter- not interested, man. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. All these people, we, we talk about people who get to influence our own booking and apparently Randy Savage just doesn't get that right. Like, well, thanks for your ideas, Randy. Now go to the booth and provide like mediocre commentary until you quit. You know that that that's your plan. There's no changing it. Yeah, and then we'll get history. Will tell us that all he wanted to do was like book and then and being creative and do all that. But for some weird reason, he left the company. He betrayed Vince. He just ran like for some reason. Yeah, I don't understand it. He will go to WCW. He will revive their house show business pre-NWO with Ric Flair. He will have a wonderful feud with DDP, make him a big star, do all this great stuff. All this stuff he could have done 
We've talked about what he could have done in the WWF. He could have wrestled every major star from here till 1997 yeah. and been a part of that amazing year. And yet none of it will happen. So we got some good savage stuff left, but not as much as we should have based on his ability. Absolutely. I found one positive note, I think, in, in this scribble on the page. So <laughs> there's a moment where Animal Atomic drops Mr. Perfect, who bounces in the air into the arms of Hulk, who does the inverted atomic drop on him. <laughs> uh, I don't, you know, we from what we've talked about, you may think we hate this match. I don't know, maybe Mystic does. Uh, I think this is actually one of the more fun matches. Uh, not amazing, yeah. it's got its flaws, but it's definitely got some strengths as well. And two of those strengths are... Uh, the Road Warriors, who I think look great here, and definitely one of the biggest strengths they've got is Mr. Perfect, who's just flying around like crazy here. I did not hate this match. Uh, I think I liked I can't re- fully remember. I, like, I kind of liked it. I did, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm trying to explain online, and I'll explain it here probably a few times. <laughs> there are times in the year where I have time to research and enjoy, and there's times where to watch the show is almost more than can be done, and right now we're in that time. Um <laughs> I think I think this was another show that mostly was about a half of a show or a part of a show I really enjoyed and then part of it I hated and this was part in what I enjoyed. Yeah, I mean it's almost exactly half and half here. First three matches I actually liked pretty well. Uh last three matches, God, they can just go to hell, so <laughs> Oh my Man, that's beautifully said. Uh <laughs> Oh man, I don't think I don't think it can be said better. I think they went to hell and they brought us with them. And the, <laughs> the fact that we went to hell and Undertaker had nothing to do with it ought to tell you something. Oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the sign was that we were in hell. If it was that stupid dancing bird or Sergeant Slaughter methodically describing his Thanksgiving dinner, or if it was to see Hulk Hogan no sell the powerplex like it was nothing. I don't oh. know. Something something was the sign that we were in hell in the second half. And, um, yeah, I, it was not these dead person coming out in the first half. That was the good part. And so, Oh man, <laughs> that's a, that's an all of the above. Cause I, <laughs> I was going to say Sergeant Slaughter in an instant, but like, I, you, I can't say anything over what Hulk Hogan does to the power place, which is one of the greatest things that I've seen in years in this company, mm-hmm. this like the rise of power and glory and that finisher and just, it's not a gimmick. It is power and glory. It is strength and speed. Like it is such an amazing potential. And a lot of it hinges on what can they do in the ring. And that hinges on what kind of finisher do they have. And they have an amazing finisher. And then man, of course, Hulk Hogan's going to destroy it for no good reason. But then again, I will still say with all that stupid paint on his face and all the heels standing behind him pretty much being like, oh, we're all devils, we're all evil, we we like bad things and hate good things, and we do it just to make you mad, you know. It's an unconvincing angle with, with Slaughter. It is it's simply meant to um, get passions going. It's also one when we get to it, or I'll say it now, I don't care which way, but, like, I think he's supposed to love... Um, He's supposed to hate America and love Middle East countries, and yet I think his insult to the troops for the whole promo is that they don't get to be in America and they have to suffer in in awful places. (laughs) 
Like I, I couldn't even understand it. Like it's a warrior style promo where I'm like, I know what I think I know what you're trying to say, but I don't know if you're saying what you're trying to say, bud. <laughs> I could at least understand his words, but I kind of wish I couldn't. So up to you if that's better or worse. <laughs> this is this is awful stuff, and props to WWF though because like you know this is some of the worst stuff I've ever seen, and both shows at least have had half a show that's still kind of amazing. So you know. At least it's not affecting the entirety of the card. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I don't think we will hit an era of the WWF where the card is bad from the top to bottom like we did in the Vince Russo years of WCW. So we at least, I think, will not sink that low. But uh, but we will have some harsh disappointments, and, and we'll cover some of them in the show as we go along. Yeah. So Axe is eliminated by Warrior. I didn't realize this was his last appearance, but it will be the ultimate Warrior, I guess, who... Uh, sends them home. Yep, in about two moves, and one of those moves is Axe just walking around like he was hexed by Papa Shango. That was a yeah. great call-out from you. I can't unsee it. Everyone who wrestles Warrior is like in a weird trance where they can only shuffle around and wait to get hit. That's what the Legacy series will do, folks, though, because we're watching this stuff continually. Like, we watched the Demolition when they were capable. So, not, like, Warrior's always done this stupid stuff, but, man, watching Demolition, who... They don't even have defense. They're all offense because they don't stop moving. They don't stop beating you down and watching them just stand there. I mean, for like 10, 15, 20, 25 seconds, maybe. And they're not even hurt. They're not dazed. And they got to just act stupid. They, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Absolutely. It is. Uh, it's no good. It's lazy. And um, yeah, it's disappointing. So um, here's one thing about demolition. Uh, now. They could tell them apart on commentary, which they couldn't do before. So I just had to mention that because that drove me crazy <laughs> on the last show. And now they could do it, of course, when when they don't even care anymore about demolition. So there you go. That's a good point. And what blows my mind later is Roddy Piper didn't know Shawn Michaels from Marty Jannetty. Like this is almost no team that he knows. But more than anybody that's out there all night, he knows Butch from Luke. <laughs> That's a great point. I have no idea why that would be. It amazes me how many people did not know the Rockers apart yeah. through their whole run. Like, a lot of people who probably should have known were just like, oh, yeah, the Rockers, they're rocking and rolling. So, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, my. Oh, dear. Um, so we get one of the stupider survivor series tropes where they just kind of dq a bunch of guys at once yeah. they do that to throw out the road warriors and demolition um we get down to the per uh, mr perfect who is bravely left alone to uh, heroically face the warrior and tornado all by himself so that's kind of some weird booking as well yeah that's it, it there's a lot of weird booking and there's a lot of uh count outs and dqs as oh, well yes. <laughs> More than usual, I think, or else maybe I'm just noticing it more because the booking is bad. Well, I think they had to be extra careful because of, again, you said a great idea to have that last match, but almost horrible execution throughout. So we almost have to make sure that not only the people, usually it's the people that we're pushing that we don't want, they can't lose, so they got to be DQ'd or counted out. Now I think it's it's all of those plus anyone who we just can't have in the last match because we got to sort it out just right, you know, 
it's got to be Hogan and Warrior, and they got to beat, let's say, five people. So why, 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 why did they choose to do this on a year where they put almost no effort into the booking? Like this is something that requires extra effort to do well. So just why? I don't know. It's very confusing. Yeah, there's a weird testimony to how bad <laughs> WWF has booked the main event because all year long, I remember thinking. They don't want Hulk Hogan with the Ultimate Warrior because SummerSlam has been a pay-per-view that is a tag match at the end. That should be Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior in a tag match together. But in my mind, they did not want Hogan with the Ultimate Warrior. But I think what they've done is they have killed the Ultimate Warrior and killed Hulk Hogan. And it's all so stale and meaningless that you can put them together and there is nobody in the building yammering for like, oh, we want to see Hogan and the Warrior. Like they put them together and nobody seemed to care. So and congratulations, they solved that problem. <laughs> Yes, Ted DiBiase, who works overtime all night to try to get stuff over, in his promo will yeah. later say, these two guys, they can't coexist, they have giant egos. Nothing in the match will reflect that statement at all. That no. very valid statement, which should have had some truth to it, and yet there will be no truth to it. So they made a liar out of DiBiase in a way that uh, they should not have. Yeah, and Saturday night's main event, I think two or three ago, Hulk Hogan declared that he was going to return to his spot and become the world champion again. He did. He did. He has forgotten as well. A lot of people forgetting, you know, in this time, things that they should have remembered. Can you, and maybe this just shows how stupidly they're already in Hogan's slaughter. So, like, the Hogan character has no zeal or no reason to knock off Warrior because he knows that Warrior's not going to be world champion. But, like... We have come to a moment in WWF where Hulk Hogan refused an opportune moment in his character. Mm. You know, like we got nothing in consistency if Hulk Hogan's not like he should have at least like been trying to come in the ring when Warrior came off the rope and Warrior almost breaks his neck on the floor and Hogan stands over and like, oh my God, do we have to strip him of the title? He might be hurt, <laughs> you know. But we get nothing. Like Hogan's got no passion for it, Warrior's got no idea about it, and the fans don't care for it, and that. I don't know how that's not alarming if you are the ones driving this uh, vehicle here at Survivor Series. I don't know what this says about me or about anything, but when you said that, I actually got nostalgic for Hogan chewing the scenery over Elizabeth getting hurt. Mm. Like that—that that he really he oversold that in such a dumb way, and yet, like, it just reminded me of a much richer time for these storylines. So that—that's something. There's a moment. When Hogan's doing a promo where I said, reminds me of John Cena, and I did not mean when I, when I compliment John, like the worst of the, where I have said, if you want to know why Sting and John Cena had ceilings, watch Hulk Hogan. <laughs> well, on this show, Hulk Hogan to me was a Sting or a John Cena, so he's gonna, he's gonna do the good thing, cause the good thing's good, and then he and the Hulkamaniacs are gonna enlist in the army, and then they're going to, you know, say their prayers, and then they're gonna go to bed at 8.30 p.m., you know, <laughs> and that's not the Hulk Hogan babyface, that is the John Cena Sting babyface, and he feels on this show like he is a John Cena Sting, and I feel like he's receiving a reception, um, to go with it. Like no these are these are popular baby faces, but they're safe and you know what they're going to do. So you never have to be on the edge of your seat. They're very comfortable. And this is a comfortable night where the baby faces are comfortable and they win and it's comfortable. 
and there's no reason to ever be anywhere near the edge of your seat when any of them are on your screen. Yeah, man, I I half wish Hogan would um you know predict death for his followers like usual, just so he could uh, be himself again. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> oh it? man, it's very lucky that wrestling was so popular a few years ago because I don't know if they would have survived 1990 if they hadn't had so much uh, credibility to trade on because between this and the Black Scorpion doing magic tricks over on the other side. Man, I'd be changing my channel, you know, I'd be sorely tempted at least if I were watching it this time. Yeah, it, it, there's, there's a reason that a year from now, The Undertaker will be a world champion. Ric Flair, who's in WCW, will be a world champion. Bret Hart will be on the come up because, you know, eventually that credibility is going to wane. And this is just not how it's not working right now. And I think even if your booking is bad. If you use new people, you almost have to come at it differently just because they're new people. So at minimum, you almost have to wipe the deck just so maybe you can have a new perspective and creative. Like you can turn your head sideways for five minutes and look at something different. Yeah, yeah. You called it very stale. You had some harsh words for it. I think you were uh, completely correct. As we go along, we will see that borne out more and more in the wrestling tonight. Um, whew, um, all right. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to move us on with the match, unless you had something else. Oh, same thing. All right, gotcha. So uh, we get Warrior knocking noggins together, Keenan and Perfect. Uh, it's going to be a very rough night for managers. No manager will be able to step foot in the arena without getting beaten up. Um, Warrior hurls Keenan, like, over the railing, like, into the crowd practically. Just Keenan didn't even do anything, but that that's yeah. something that will happen. So... Uh, I'm tired of these managers. Slick, I think, is going to get it. Bobby Heenan more than once in the night, but yep. you don't have to do it every every single time. And so, this is another thing. This is all just subjective, of course, and maybe it has something to do with I know because I know how Heenan felt about Warrior, but I don't think it's just that. When Warrior, like I'm less offended. Like when Hogan would beat up Bobby Heenan, I would always think, this is why I'm more of a heel because I am a team Bobby Heenan and Hogan shouldn't do this. But it's only going to make the feud richer. When Warrior beats him up, it's like a ripoff of that, but there's no heat between them. There's no story. There's no con- then nothing continues. It doesn't get bigger or different. It's just like, why is he beating up that guy? That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Just comes off as uh, mean spirited and random. Like you said, they don't really even have anything much between them. Um, but, um, oh well, it is what it is. Uh, Mr. Perfect does overcome the odds and pins Kerry Von Erich, uh, which yep. should tell you that the writing is on the wall with yep. the Texas Tornado. Um, of course, Warrior is another story. He will kick out of the Perfect Plex in an annoying moment to me, mm-hmm. and then uh, he will get that victory, and then he will beat up Bobby Heenan again for good measure. But uh, in spite of that, I think there are some very fun things in this match, so I will give credit where credit is due. Absolutely. Another good showing from Perfect. Uh, Warrior, again, a really good response, and also yeah. it is significant going into uh, this kind of final match that the Ultimate Warriors kicked off the show, and he is that first survivor who will go on to the matchup. <laughs> he is, although I'll say again, I think you would never guess he was a champion if you just watched this uh, without knowing beforehand and didn't, if nobody told you. So I've said that all year, so yep. you know, I yep. won't disagree. <laughs> uh, Sean Mooney is with the Million Dollar Team. 
Yes, and Ted DiBiase, uh, he is earning that praise that he has been given. He cuts a very fired-up promo backstage, uh, even though he's next to Rhythm and Blues, which is not the easiest place to get fired up. But uh, he has a mystery team member, and uh, we're going to find out who that is in a minute. I think we all know. It's a very exciting moment for everybody in the Survivor Series. I also noted here that I'm glad Dusty Rose is leaving the company because the way <laughs> WWF is booking right now, if he stayed a year from now, he would have sold out the DiBiase for no reason and been like in like a minion in the stable. <laughs> oh, well, you could be right about that. But uh, I'll always be sad to see Dusty go, especially since like uh, apart from some of those early smiley weird moments, I think he has actually had some pretty good storylines in here. So uh, credit to Dusty. I'm sure he had something to do with that on his own. And uh, I, I think the run has actually gone pretty well. You know, it's much maligned. It is not his best work in his career. But uh, I've seen more good, fun things in this run than bad things by, by quite a stretch, I would say. There have been moments that he's been the best thing in the company for me. So I'm definitely yeah. not knocking the run. Um, it had a ceiling on it. It had walls around it. But, man, he pushed the ceiling up and the walls out, and he definitely did the best that could be done with it. There's a gimmick that if it wasn't Dusty Rhodes, might have been out the door in a month. But instead, <laughs> you know, it's a man you, you can't keep Dusty Rhodes down. So that's a testimony to him. Uh, sometime in the future, we will be having a special tribute Dusty Rhodes show. So not only is it exciting what Dusty has done, but we've been talking about in the forums We've also kicked off the legacy of Dustin Rose, which will run through the legacy, this legacy series. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, we've got this, and then we've got the Royal Rumble. And after that, I think the plan was to do that Dusty episode. Yes. So that could be very, very close at hand right now. One thing I'd like to do, if this works for you, is maybe the two of us can both pick, like we did with Vader, I think, is we both could pick a match and then maybe have a few others pick a match um, so that we can kind of get like five or six, but it can be well-rounded from different, you know, Folks, so I'm that's down good with that. Huh? I think let's have a conversation about how many matches we want because I've been specifically watching Dusty matches just uh, to prepare for this. So okay. I feel like I have a few up my sleeve. Uh, maybe I'll pick some matches. Real listeners can pick some matches. Maybe you want to dig for promos since I know it's a particular love for you. We'll talk about it, but we'll definitely bring some great Dusty content in a few weeks to the Legacy Series. Absolutely. Yeah, I do want some story with my matches, so I appreciate that as well. <laughs> I do too. It's so hard. It's very easy for me to find matches. It's hard for me to find promos. I don't know why. Uh, either way, we'll definitely get some wonderful Dusty promos on that show. And, uh, of course, one of his biggest strengths. But, man, that guy had almost nothing but strength. So we will we will get into all of that in a couple of weeks here. Yeah, we have also mentioned on the show that Hulk Hogan, like Dusty Rhodes came before Hulk Hogan. And Hulk Hogan himself says he took from Dusty Rhodes. Well, guess what? Dusty Rhodes tonight will be a forerunner and a foreshadow for what Hulk Hogan is going to be doing with The Undertaker in a year, which is, you know, <laughs> so that's kind of cool. Absolutely. I think uh, if you found people who said they didn't take something from Dusty that were big in this era, uh, you would find a liar, you know, if that's what they were saying. Yeah. So Dusty, one of the most influential people, I would think, in wrestling history. Ah, man. So Dusty Rhodes is going to come out to one of my favorite theme songs in the WWF, which we won't hear much more. Yep. DiBiase is going to come out. Didn't. You know, we're at, we're at the door. Number one, I'm so glad they, they didn't just leave DiBiase's music playing when they brought out the mystery, man. 
yeah, no, I mean, there's a, an element of good presentation here that I will yes. definitely give credit for. Uh, it is the mystery man. He has been hyped up. It's a big entrance. It is the undertaker and he is, <laughs> there are things here that could have gone wrong because he is managed by brother love of all people. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, like knowing what we know, it's a big moment. It feels big. But you can also look at this and you can imagine this is something that could have flopped. This is certainly something that could have succeeded for a while and gone away. Um, to, to see this and be like, yes, in uh, 30, 31 years, people will still be thinking of this moment, talking about this moment. I don't know. I think you would have been quite quite the, the, the seer to see that coming. Yeah. The guy who plays The Undertaker was not he is he is not a guaranteed superstar in professional wrestling and he's a big guy so that helps but he kind of looks a little awkward kind of works a little awkward you know this is this is that weird marriage of taking a guy who has strengths and weaknesses and taking a gimmick that has strengths and weaknesses and marrying it together and just getting this solidified thing and i there's no way to know that this was going to be as successful nobody could know that but at least for the night, there was something that was right. It was the strangest thing because the crowd went quiet, but it really felt like it was a different kind of quiet. It was a, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm looking at, but like it's a quiet looking, not a quiet looking away, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Undertaker had a weird effect. In his early days, he would make the crowd quiet, and yet uh, he was over. I don't think you could deny that he was. Um, there's a lot of shots of, like, kids and stuff who are, who seem, like, actually kind of afraid of The Undertaker. Yeah. So they they accomplished something here, you know, no doubt. Those same kids will no-sell a, a, a scene later that is supposed to be for them. So they, they do have opinions. <laughs> kids always do. People forget. The kids, they... They have a lot to say. They know what they want. If you remember being a kid, you know that that's the truth. So I'm going to butcher two stories, but I'm going to tell them in half, and people that know them better might be able to tell. I might be able to fill in the gaps. But oh. I just want to say about the Undertaker. Undertaker is just on Joe Rogan's show, and mm. he talked about coming up in the business. And I can't remember who he trained with first, but it's like you pay money that you don't have. I think he had to borrow money from his brother. Just to, just for the training, and then when they get to the guy's house, like they can barely get him to get out of bed or come to the front door, and all he does is like lay them all in the front yard and stretch them and send them home, and then the next week fewer people come, and then he stretches them, and then by the end of it, the Undertaker was the only guy left, and he's knocking on the door, and he looks in the house, and like all the furniture is gone, and the guy is uh, gone, so he just took all their money, and you know was trying to get rid of them. And then the undertaker goes to um, the company the Von Erics were running. Um, and yeah. he's sitting in their office for eight or nine months. He comes once a week and they all pass him by and nobody will even speak to him. Like he halfway stands up when they walk by because he thinks they might talk to him and they just keep on going. A referee is kind of running the front desk and he lets them know. He's like, well, I'm here to see somebody. And they're like, well, I hope that works out for you. And like for nine months, he comes back every week or so and no, nothing happens. Nobody acknowledges him. And then one day he's sitting there and Father Von Eric, I, I apologize. For, I apologize to fans of this era. Father Von Eric comes in and Fritz. stops. Yeah. Yes. And looks at him 
and he thinks finally somebody's going to speak to me. And then he walks away and he goes into the office. And I can't remember who the first Von Eric is that passed away. I don't know if you know that or not. Kevin, but I want to say. He hears David, him through maybe? the door. <laughs> he hears him through the door say, he looks just like my son. Um, <laughs> like, talk to him. And they, they give him a chance simply because he looks like his son that passed away. Must be David then. I can see yeah. that. Yeah, some some resemblance there, for sure. That's a, that's a six foot ten man that can't get an opportunity. Yeah. And, you know... To hear about him going through all of that, then he goes to WCW, and you know he's not a hit in WCW. Uh, they pretty much let him know he's never going to be a hit in WCW. And then he comes to WWF to be the Undertaker, a man who is dead and is somehow walking around, and like who knows what his intentions is. Let's make him really slow in the ring because he's dead. And it becomes one of the greatest things that's ever going to happen in the history of professional wrestling. Like, what kind of story are we talking about right now? Uh, it is really a marvel that everything fell into place the way it did. Um, it's a minor miracle. And those stories just hit it home even more because that, that's some incredible stuff that I had not heard before. Um, Undertaker. <laughs> Man, it's it's wild to think about the stuff that might not have happened, that could have just never happened because of uh, time and circumstance. And even, man, that sounds like the universe is conspiring to tell you, don't mm-hmm. be a wrestler. <laughs> Do something yeah. else, but man, you know, it, it happened, and look, look what the result was. That's really incredible, though. It is, and that's it's it's another thing though that while Bret Hart, for example, and Shawn Michaels were already in WWF, while the Rockers were semi-successful, and while WWF seemed to always want to push Bret Hart, that's what the Undertaker was off doing. And yet somehow he is going to not only bump the line and beat Hulk Hogan for the world title before either of them touch it years and years before Sean gets close. But, you know, he's going to in some ways open up that 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 lane. And it's just not supposed to happen that way. But, man, like we have come sideways into a straight line that, you know, we are on. So it's just there's, there's it's impossible to overstate the significance of this strange event. Mm. And it's one time where Ted DiBiase's money and his whatever it is that drives him is actually going to pay off big time, but not necessarily for Ted DiBiase, but for the whole World Wrestling Federation. (laughs) Certainly a good investment. Yes, absolutely. Uh, What's really incredible, it just occurring to me, is I I did not hear that interview that you're talking about. Uh, I heard some things about it, um, particularly, you know, the talking point that Undertaker did – a fair bit of complaining about how uh, wrestling backstage is not as good as it used to be. And just hearing that, I'm like, man, so you really love that era when people would stretch you and steal your money and ignore <laughs> you. And I was like, okay, all right, sure. Like nostalgia is a weird thing. More power yeah. to you, I guess. But uh, wow. No, it's really amazing, though, because as many things go right in this debut, things are going wrong as well. He's with Brother Love. That never could have yeah. lasted. I think if they had kept him with Brother Love, it never would have succeeded the way it did. You've got Roddy Piper on commentary. And I'll say, Piper had a little bit better night here. But, man, like, if, if it were up to Piper to get this gimmick over, it would have failed on the first night because he's just like, oh, he looks like he needs more sleep. Oh, <laughs> you know, just, like, saying stupid stuff. And, uh yeah. So a lot of things could have gone wrong. Um, it's not just some cosmic coincidence. Like there was some hard work on the part of uh, Mark Calloway and some others to really make this work the way it did. Yeah. You know, you're 100% right. And I don't think it can work the same. Not only, 
I think two things with number one with Brother Love there, it's not going to work as well without Paul Bearer. I think both of those are two different yes. things. Oh, I have so much love for Paul Bearer. I can't wait to get to him. One of my favorite weird characters in wrestling. So I'm very excited about that. And then I'm not even like Dusty Rhodes. I don't know if it's because he knows he's on his way out or if he's just getting older or heavier or anything, but he doesn't seem to be at his best, like you were saying about Axe earlier. Mm. But I wasn't even mad at the Dusty Rhodes thing. I thought the, I thought the takeaway for me was going to be, man, they beat Dusty Rhodes real quick. But in some way, he becomes the first great offering to something that is going to be great. So, And then the Bret Hart thing. like There's something that blows my mind because – for those of you who want to know what I'm going to think about Bret Hart, if it's anything like childhood, the weird thing is Bret Hart is almost at his best when he's against big men. Like yeah. Bret Hart's going to get more out of Diesel maybe than anybody in the company. Oh, and Bret Hart's no going to have very interesting. It. What's that? No, maybe about it, I think. Yeah. And then he's going to have interesting stuff with Undertaker. So yeah. there is something about this. This, to me, honestly felt like a greater coming out for Bret Hart than whatever they were trying to force down my throat years ago when nobody really cared and Brett was clearly not ready for it. Indeed. In uh, February of 1997, we'll get a hint of what Brett versus Vader might have looked like if they had done it properly. I don't know if that... It probably did happen at some point, but it probably didn't happen properly, so I'll just say, yeah, no, Brett versus Big Man, there's often something very compelling about that. Yes. There's also something nice, and then we, we can get into this, but DiBiase... Because he comes from the heavily gimmicked era, even though he's like a rich guy with money, so he's very practical and of the world, but he comes from an era that also seems supernatural. So there's something fitting that his money can unlock a door to the supernatural that he himself probably has no understanding for. <laughs> well, he's absolutely the type in your Indiana Jones type movie who would fund the expedition that like opened up hell and... He yes. probably gets swallowed first. So, God, <laughs> yeah. I love the Ted DiBiase character. It's so great. Yeah, so I I, I do want to say that as much as it's not going to work with Brother Love, I think it benefits from the fact that Ted DiBiase. Because that's what Ted yeah. DiBiase like. He is the worst self promoter in the WWF, but he makes everybody else and everything else around him better. He does, yeah. So props also, I want to you know, say props to DiBiase and Dusty Rose because, again, nobody knows that night what they're putting over. But, you know, because it becomes what it becomes, then you can almost go back in history and say, look at these guys on, on the front lines of this. <laughs> but I think also it's not that Dusty and Ted had, like, a magic sense that Undertaker would be this no. huge legend. I think it's just the fact that every night they go out – and they try to put over everything as strongly as they yes. can because they're that good, they're that professional, and they deserve all the praise in the world for it. Absolutely, it's you just don't know. You never know what you're what what you are or are not in there with, and like history bears that out. This is, you know, like a lot of guys didn't like Goldberg because this reason or that, but you know, they there's no way to know that hey. Whether you do a good job in this match or not, 20 years from now, they're still going to be watching these matches and talking about this because you're a part of something that's on the come up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Man, all right, so I forget who all we have in this. <laughs> um, yeah, we get into the match, and the uh, first thing that I, I remember, uh, I don't know if it's the first thing that happens, but the first thing I remember is Bret Hart running at The Undertaker, Undertaker catching him by the throat and just flooring him down to the mm -hmm. mat. And, like, that that's a great first thing for Undertaker to do. 
I'll give credit to him as well. Again, this is just not some magic coincidence. You know, you can say he's slow or maybe a little green still, but man, I thought he put in a very good effort for his first showing here. Yeah, I thought he did exactly what his character should do. Like, it wasn't for him to come out and steal the show. And, like, these days it's almost like if he didn't come out as a heel and by the end of the night the fans were cheering him, then, it, like, you don't, you got to not do your job to do your job almost in some way. Like, he goes out there and strictly does his job. Yeah, absolutely so. Um, definitely a strong sense of, like, this is what we need you to do. Like, don't show out everything that you've got in one go. Um, mm. So it's very effective. Uh, he eliminates Coco Beware first, and uh, I was a little sad because I love Coco Beware, and I do want to give him huge credit because he is color-coordinated perfectly with the Heart Foundation. Yeah. And he probably bought that gear specially, and he's eliminated in, like, two minutes here. So, again... Huge love for Coco Beware. It does not get enough credit that he deserves. Yes, uh, it's beautiful. Uh, I would like to see him stay around longer. I think also Honky Tonk Man is in this match, correct? <laughs> Briefly, thankfully, yeah. yes, he is. So he's eliminated quickly by the Anvil, but then the Anvil is quickly eliminated by DiBiase, which, again, even though I think WrestleMania, we're still going to have the Heart Foundation one last time, but if you want to watch this match to see where their stock is as individuals. There's no greater telling than watching this match and, and just watch the Anvil and watch Bret Hart. Yeah, writing on the wall for sure, even though I think uh, Hearts are still tag champions. But, um, yeah, no, it's all about Bret Hart at this point. I do have um, very high praise um, for Bret at one moment. No more than Piper, who just is so in love with Bret Hart. He'll be like, even when he's in a program with Bret Hart, he's going to be talking about Bret Hart the way that he's talking about him through the entirety of this match. Yeah. So, uh, but Piper's better contributions. It's so much better when he actually wants to like, when he likes somebody and he actually wants to put them over, he does a lot better. So that, that's something for him. There's a moment where DiBiase will drop on his face, you know, Bret Hart's running on jump over him. And then Bret Hart trips over DiBiase, who's not even raised up. You know, he's flat on the mat. And I wrote down, this has been a sloppy match at times. Uh, he he tripped over a flat DiBiase. And Bret Hart, of course, faked tripping over him in order to do a Bret Hart little try to pin. So, like, he had me three notes into critiquing the match before I realized he had made a fool out of me. So... <laughs> High praise for Bret Hart for getting like getting wrong notes out of me as I watched the match. <laughs> this is um, this is uh definitely one of my top two matches of the night, I think. And yeah, you might be uh thinking one way or another about it as you watch it, but in the end, I really enjoyed this. Um, I think there's a lot of good stuff. Um, perhaps nothing better than the fact that they did eject uh, people like the Honky Tonk Man very early. Yeah. And Nightheart as well, and kind of left you just with the best of uh, what you would get in here. Yeah, this is a night for uh, DiBiase, for Undertaker, and Brett. The Undertaker's counted out, has no care or no knowledge or whatever for what's going on. Uh, it goes as down to said, Brett. not before very quickly eliminating Dusty Rhodes, who got some yeah. nice wallops in on DiBiase. When Undertaker came in, uh, he, he could not stand up to him, so a lot to be said there. Absolutely. It. Again, I don't know, maybe because we're 30 years after, but I, I wasn't deeply offended by it. I think, you know, it is what it is. I always like to see Dusty around, but there are worse ways to go out. And then you got this DiBiase Bret Hart stuff. And, man, again, you know, 
the best of the best in WWF in the early 90s as far as the wrestling is going to be around you know, the million dollar title, the intercontinental title, like all these guys, perfect Brett, you know, um, DiBiase, and you just get a lot of, hey, like I would be so distraught if I worked for this company when I would look at the main event and I would be so hopeful when I look at everything else. So what keeps, what I keep being reminded of is it's not a shock the turns that this company will take in the years to come. Yeah, no, absolutely. You really get a, a big window on Brett here because he really goes after DiBiase. He uh, even does, I think, that kind of slingshot dive that he does. Uh, mm-hmm. He does very well, something a lot of guys are not doing at this time. Something you probably wouldn't even think of Brett doing ever, but uh, he was very good at it when he wanted to bring it out. Um, crowd gets super into it. They do some really great near falls. Uh, yeah, uh, of course, in the end, Ted does get that victory because we're not quite ready to put a guy like Brett over a guy like DiBiase, but man, he was put over regardless. Like this, this helped build the, um, you know, future single success of Bret Hart on this night for sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's a cross body roll through to show you how close the finish is. Yeah. Yeah. Very good stuff there. And again, the guy going on is the only guy who keeps this show uh, connected from start to finish. Like he, in a weird night where Hulk Hogan doesn't even know who he is, it's Ted DiBiase who's going to keep this whole thing together. Yep, absolutely. So, so yeah, that that's definitely one of my favorite matches of tonight uh, of Survivor Series, and uh, I think it's well worth checking out for a lot of reasons, both historical and uh, practical. Absolutely. Uh, we go back to Gene Oakland, who is with Jake the Snake Roberts, who is representing his team, the Vipers, as they get ready to take on the Visionaries. Jake is always in the shower uh, yeah. he, a lot for these promos, I guess, just probably because that's where Damien wants to be or likes to be. Um, Jake cuts a very nice promo, as you would expect. He puts over the team, especially, I thought, Shawn Michaels. Mm-hmm. He makes some very, very excellent references to that SummerSlam match that you and I both really enjoyed. And he does uh, give us a look, a first look, at that damaged eye. And we will definitely loop back and see where that came from because it is a great segment, a great angle, a great feud. And uh, there's a lot that could be said about that. But for now, we're just going to see the damaged eye and uh, kind of revel in the good aesthetic of that. (laughs) Absolutely. Jake says to the visionaries, rattle this tree and see if Damien falls out on you. God. His I'll said it. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I would love to go to a different timeline where he really did get that creative power in the WWF. I would love to see what that company looked like for a while there. Absolutely. Um, I, I hate this. that I can't remember, but there was something in something to wrestle where it's like just universally amazing, either storyline or choice. And they're like, well, who came up with that? And you know, I always say, was it Pat Patterson? Was it Vince? Was it you? And it was Jake Roberts. So I wish I could remember what it was, but it just, it was one more thing of man. There was, there was opportunity to be had. Yeah, there was. I mean, there were outside factors as well. Jake has yes. many personal problems. So it's not a case necessarily where I'm blaming the company, but God, I would just, I would have loved to see it work out and, Oh, I know what it was. By God. What? It was when Triple H got punished uh, for the curtain call, and they're like, well, who should win the King of the Ring? And Jake Roberts said it should be Steve Austin. Ah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It Bravo, should be Steve yeah. Austin. <laughs> 
couldn't have been a better choice. Man, that's in 96 even. I thought for sure you were going to say something like more in this era. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, whew, God, Jake, ne- never count out Jake that he has something to offer. So there's, a, there's a, at least a so. semi-fair statement that WWF might not be in business today if it wasn't for Jake Roberts, because not only does Roberts say Steve Austin should win the King of the Ring, but then it's, it's the whole Jake Roberts life and gimmick that just like mid promo pops the Austin 316 comment, mm. you know, it's a weird thing. Jake Roberts contributed a lot to get that off the ground. And if that's not off the ground, I don't know what happens in 96, 97, 98 when they're facing uh, the NWO. No kidding, yeah. In another timeline, uh, Mark Merrow or somebody wins that King of the Ring, yeah. and now now we don't have any wrestling to talk about anymore. So. <laughs> yeah. Who won 95? Was that Mabel? That was Mabel, I believe. Okay, and they don't know who's going to win in 96. You know, they got Triple H number one first, which that tells to tell you something. And then <laughs> it wouldn't have been Steve Austin, you know, and if it's not Steve Austin, ooh, it needs to be Steve Austin for the sake of this company. And apparently Jake Roberts comes through double – uh, in that. So again, that's the guy we're dealing with and he is coming into, this is what I thought. Like he has a lot of big time stuff in the eighties, but some of the stuff that, that it sits the best with me is come like it's just one after another. It seems like we're in a run of it right now. <laughs> I guess we also have to come together and thank the uh, four members of the clique for derailing that triple H win. Cause, uh, yes. you know, then, then I don't know. They're out of business business by 97, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Triple H winning it. Good gracious. Like, Especially in that know. era. Like, if you want to come to like Triple H in a later era, then maybe we can have a conversation. But Jesus, in 96? Are you kidding me? Okay. All right. Whatever. No, it's the worst of the. It, it was, it was going to be like, oh, he's a snob and he's a king. <laughs> That's what it Man, was going to be. I, he should thank know. China every day for saving his career, for God's yeah. sake. And this is what, 96. So they were going to have him win King of the Ring after they booked him at WrestleMania 12 in that match with the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> you could be forgiven for thinking that Warrior match was after. Like, that was part of his punishment. So, yeah. I don't know. It's just maybe that was his test to make sure he's loyal or. Yeah, they do like to do that. Or, I don't know. Maybe they just thought that was the best use of him. Ha, ha, ha. So. <laughs> Apparently, uh, well, we'll get to, we'll get to it in, in that year. But, like, okay. he had a lot of conversations with, with Ultimate Warrior, apparently, even trying to get the match to be different. But we'll get to that <laughs> later. <laughs> God, I'm so glad I can't hear those conversations. I yeah. just. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I will say that if Ted DiBiase is in an MVP run, we we got a low key MVP in Rick Martel. Oh yeah, like as great as he is as a babyface, we talked to no end about that. He is putting in tremendous effort here to a role that he is not even naturally suited for, in my opinion. But by pure hard work, I think he's making tons out of this model run, and uh, it's amazing to me that people kind of dismiss this whole run because he's doing some great stuff as well. Yeah, he is on a, the visionaries are a historic. Tag team, the model, power and glory, and warlord. I believe are going to be the first team that's going to win without losing anybody. They are, and credit to manager Slick, who uh, it's a rare case. For some reason, WWF rarely put these heel teams together out of all one group or stable, but here it is all Slick all the way down. So maybe that continuity helps them uh, get that victory here. Yeah, what does that tell you? Because we're in '88. Uh, did Survivor Series start in 87 or 88? 87. So that's four, four years, and there's never been a team that survived together. 
and it's not a babyface team. And so you cannot tell me whether you like or dislike them that there's not something to do with character when a whole team survives together. Mm, yep, absolutely so. Yeah, it's man, that. shout out to Slick, man. Shout out to Slick. Power and Glory, underrated to no end. The model, I think, showing that he could have been more top tier if they had let him be. And then the Warlord, you know, yeah, he's fun. He's there, you know. <laughs> I got nothing. I think the kind of role he's in right now is perfect, whereas he's kind of the muscle. Even with Hercules on the team, he's the muscle behind it all still. Yeah, I'm not tremendously impressed with Warlord, but I don't hate the guy or anything. You know, he kind of has a role to play, so uh, he doesn't offend me. Uh, I'll just say that. Um, yeah, we can't separate them tonight. In some one-on-one matches, we might sound different, but the, the whole team goes on together tonight. Yeah, no, they absolutely do. Uh, I like this match a lot. This is probably my favorite match in Survivor Series, actually. Um, just uh, really seemed like a lot of good things came together well. A lot of people are impressive in this match. Um the, uh, the Rockers have a good showing, particularly Shawn Michaels. As you said, he lasts a long time. Roddy Piper uh, predicts that the Rockers will be the tag team of the 90s. So I know we are always <laughs> looking out for those of the 90s predictions, and that one uh, that one will be very wrong. So there's yeah. one for you. Piper is the worst at picking anything. <laughs> I mean, that, they should have just broke up tonight when he said that. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting close. So... This is one of the greatest psychological displays because yeah. it's going to be an entire night of Jake Roberts not getting to touch Rick Martell. Rick Martell will take liberties to touch Jake Roberts, and even when Jake Roberts finally gets his revenge, it won't be Jake Roberts. So just watch the psychological thread that goes through the matchup uh, as you rewatch this. Yeah, this this feud, we will do justice to this feud before all is said and done, because it is a phenomenal feud, it is very smart, it is very unique, the way they play it in this match uh, is really beautiful, this is a great match uh, in many ways, or perhaps not, if you're only looking for those uh, highly competitive work rate matches, you know, that you know this is maybe not the match for you, but man, just in terms of like, Really strong psychology, good storytelling, um, just a lot of impressive performances. This really is a great match, I think. I, I had great fun with this. Yeah, and, and it's a feud. You know, these, yeah. It's, it's Survivor Series. There should be some feud uh, in here. <laughs> so much more than Hogan or Warrior or a lot of these top guys can get involved with right now. This is, this is a feud, a throwback feud. They could have been on WrestleMania 3. You know, so this is good stuff here. I also don't know what's... It, is this whole thing with Piper like sweating and getting us excited? Is that like a gimmick? Like, will he survive in the announce booth, or is he just like not like what is going on with him? I don't know. I think Monsoon just mentioned it early on, and because Piper is Piper, he sort of fixed on it, and they ran with it together. So yes, all night Piper will apparently be on the verge of like a cocaine fueled heart attack or something, because <laughs> like they treat it like maybe he would die any second. Yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, this is fun. The Rockers. Always being the Rockers, you know, they bring a certain flair to this. Yeah. You know, Jake, Jake has that injury, and, man, he plays it so well. Uh, who else have we got on this team? Who am I missing? <laughs> no one of interest. Um, yes, Jimmy Snuka is also there. Oh, Snuka. Okay. He adds very little. But uh, yeah. when he gets eliminated, he gets eliminated with Martel, and the way Jake just, like, darts in to get at Martel, and the mm. way he, he has to escape from that, that's a beautiful moment. So I will say uh, that was very good. Yeah. There's a moment, I think, shortly after Janetti is eliminated, maybe by the Warlord. Yep. Uh, 
Michaels gets knocked to the apron or the floor, and he's crawling back in under the bottom rope, and Paul Roma leg drops him when only his head and his neck have gotten back into the ring. You are very, you are so right to praise Power and Glory because they have been so impressive. Um, it's a great run for them. They will probably not get the attention they deserve in the end, but they they will get some good stuff. And uh, here's a very good example of that. Uh, Michaels has a great run in this match, really. It's just him and Jake against the four, and Michaels really goes down fighting against all these guys. He does get pinned by the Powerplex, but uh, it's a very good run for Shawn Michaels. It is. There's a moment where they throw him in the corner and he does the Ric Flair corner spot where it's like you hit fast forward even though you didn't when you're watching it. (laughs) Yep. Shawn Michaels, uh, I think, has huge influence from Ric Flair. You definitely see uh, shades of that coming out here. Yeah, man. This is this is a great one again with feud with with talented stars. But again, Michaels is the only one who really holds on and supports an injured Jake Roberts. So when he gets eliminated, a vulnerable Jake Roberts is even more vulnerable. But you know, at the same time, it's a Jake Roberts who wants to strike and wants to get at the person who has put him in that predicament. Absolutely, uh, it comes down to four on one with Jake, and I wouldn't have blamed him if he just pulled a, a dug in and just got himself DQ'd. But uh, he doesn't. He hangs in there, and uh, we get a a great finish, in my opinion. Uh, Jake DDTs the Warlord and just absolutely just destroys the guys. A great looking DDT as usual. Um, the ref is distracted. Martel tries to come in and uh, spray the perfume in Jake's face again. Jake kind of turns away at the last second and uh, basically just says, "Screw it." He gets the snake. He chases Martel out. Jake is counted out. Martel is not because he was not the legal man. And uh, we do get that full team surviving. So I really like this finish, and uh, it will even play over into the uh, the final match, which I liked as well. Yeah, it's a great ending. I, still, I like I like the fact that if you're not the legal man, you you don't get counted out. Even though earlier tonight that might have been different, but that's not <laughs> the point. You can certainly get DQ'd if you're not the legal man, I guess. Yeah. but uh, not counted out, perhaps. So. <laughs> so Jake corners the model though at one point, and the model tags out. But it's like such a high moment. The crowd's in it, but he never gets to touch him. And then a few a little, shortly after, Jake's in that corner, and model clotheslines him from the outside. So. The whole night, the model just keeps getting these advantages over Jake Roberts due to that uh, situation. I think at a wrestling feud, um, putting everything else aside and just boiling it down to its core element, I think there's maybe nothing better than you could accomplish than if you get the crowd to want somebody to get their hands on somebody else. If you could really sell them on that, if you could Mm -hmm. build that moment, that may be the greatest thing that you can accomplish in a wrestling feud. Absolutely. And, you know, again, whether it's creative or the wrestlers, the ones that know that know that. Yeah. And beyond that, Jake Roberts is the kind of guy, if you're going to have him as a baby face, that needs to be like that. And Rick Martel is the kind of guy that you're going to want to see someone get their hands on. So, you know, everything is perfect in that way. And it's funny because I think Damien's going to come out and Damien is going to make contact, you know, so. This is something that our prof uh, talked about at LOPforums.com is the fact that when you injure uh, Jake Roberts, you are forcing him into his natural instincts. So in a way, like you can gloat because Jake Roberts is vulnerable and he can't hurt you and he can't touch you, but you're getting closer to making the snake come in. And I mean that as as Damien and I mean that as Jake Roberts. So you are winning 
but you're also creating a scenario where you're going to lose in an even greater fashion than you can imagine. Mm. Yeah, yeah, man. It's so good. If the whole night was as good as this, then, man, we wouldn't have anything to complain about at all, you know? Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> this is top-tier stuff. This is the old stuff, man. What happened to this? Uh, some of these other parts of the card. I can't believe it. You know, the difference is so overwhelming. Like, it's shocking. Like, you were talking about, oh, it doesn't feel like the same Vince from, like, one year to the next sometimes. Man, it doesn't feel like Vince from one match to the next one here. Like, you think, did they change owners, like, between this match (laughs) and the next one? It's just bizarre. This is how I felt at SummerSlam, too, though, because they were were speaking my language at SummerSlam early in that show. It was just like, man, yeah, this is right. Okay, and then... Both shows, though, when it when it switches over, you know, and SummerSlam even had an intermission to help with. It. It's like we're gonna come back as a different company, but when it switches over, it's like where 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 did I did I stumble into the wrong room? Is this a new show? And I don't want to keep picking on Sergeant Slaughter in this ridiculous storyline, oh, but do. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a consistency on both shows is that we're moving into that portion of the show. Yeah, you can't uh... beat this though, you know. <laughs> There are times, and this is something that people have to understand about me, is that I am a little bit vulnerable, I think, as a highly sensitive person to the context. So this is a reason sometimes you can hear me bash Bret Hart, or even like I wasn't as high on Jake Roberts, because the kind of praise that they sometimes get yeah. has me in conversation with that praise. But now we have entered, like, us. you can see the difference where I, I don't think Jake ever did bad stuff, but it was like, Oh, is he the greatest mind in the world because he paused before he started his next sentence? You know, like now, but I am on board now and I know I'm going to be on board for a long time because I know the match made in heaven and the match made in hell and the undertaker and all that stuff is to come. So Jake Roberts is now not only doing what he does for the larger crowd, but I am also feeling that. So if you want some clue as far as how the Bret Hart response might be, it might be a lot like Jake Roberts for me in the times it's like, I see what you're talking about, but I still don't think that necessarily means that. And there might be times where I'm like, oh, my God, genius. Bret Hart's in his zone. WWF is his company. This is the way you book him. You know, so just a little just a little something, something there. (laughs) I'll say also, um, first, of course, we call what we see. So if there are times when Jake or Bret or anyone is not as good as the praise they get, then we're going to call it out. And uh, I think uh, hopefully that just makes us more credible in our likes and dislikes. Uh, But more importantly, I really want to say in a time where the whole company was rich and we were kind of spoiled, it was easy to look at a guy like Jake and say, well, here are the problems with Jake, you know, and there's all this great stuff happening. So is Jake really as great as this other stuff? But in a time where the company is asleep at the wheel, when they are not supporting their people and the people have to support themselves, that's the time when you look at Brett, you look at Jake, you look at certain guys and be like, wow, even in a time where they are not even getting the support that they should get, they are still doing this great stuff. Like they are self-driven in quality in a way that other guys are not. So you really have to give huge credit in moments like that. And uh, I think that's exactly what we're doing right now. Yeah, that's very well said. You know, this has not been a year that we're going to be like, man, I want to get back to 1990. (laughs) God, no. Yeah, if I asked you, do you want to get back to that time where Jake Roberts was trying to get his hands on Rick Martel? Oh, yes. Or Boss Man on Heenan or yeah. um, Dusty on Ted or just like yeah. the good stuff is still so good. 
and you just have to look, I think, at the people driving those stories, and you'll understand why. Oh dear. So yeah. Again, this is this is what this feels like. So if if you think we're over exaggerating, or but we're about to switch from this to this like really bad promos, um, some really bad matches, maybe a decent thing here and there, but. You know, not this much. is about where we're going to go from top of the mountain to the bottom of the valley, and there's not even a drop uh, to prepare us. <laughs> it is a pretty sheer cliff as we uh, go backstage to Hulk Hogan and his team of Big Boss ends there, thank God, but also Tugboat and Jim Duggan on the same team. That's very cruel, I think, for anyone to make me suffer through that. So. Yeah, Tugboat's one of the worst gimmicks. Like, I feel sorry oh. for the man playing it. I feel sorry for, like, Hogan and even Earthquake people involved. Like, it says something about creative that, again, and I'm not going to harp on this because like, we've been on this, but they really thought this was going to be the main event for WrestleMania, and they named him Tugboat. Ugh. Like, you can't get around that. Every single time I see him, and it's always got to be a conversation about him being a Tugboat as well, and it's just, what do you want me to do? I I lost myself in Jake Roberts and Rick Martel. Like I didn't say like, man, I hope Jake Roberts is angry and I hope the model is scared. Like I shut my brain down and lost myself mm. in that. If even if I was going into the Hogan promo still lost in the storyline, the minute that we start explaining what the tugboat is and and what the the hacksaw is, you know, like you woke me up and like the spell is over and here we go. Yeah. Like I said, we've harped on it so many times, but yeah, like, you, you take this, like, big, he's a fat guy, like, let's just be honest, he's a fat guy, he's a round guy, you dress him like a baby, you name him after, like, a child's toy, and it's just baffling, like, how are these the same people Yeah, then put you, together the match we just saw, it's just baffling, so I, I, I don't get it. You sit on podcast 30 years later, like, yeah, we wanted to push him, he just didn't get over didn't get old. <laughs> Fans weren't feeling it. Is he another one who didn't commit to the gimmick hard enough? Chris <laughs> Pritchard. Like, God. Just putting on that shirt, he should get a medal just for bravery to go out in public in that outfit. So. Hulk Hogan says to Hacksaw, that's right, tough guy. <laughs> he's got to co-opt everyone's gimmick. And yet, it's amazing because he's not doing like a tugboat symbol. He's not wearing tugboat's hats. Even Hogan knew that he didn't yeah. want anything to do with this stupid gimmick. So... <laughs> Hulk Hogan is well aware of what's over and what's not. Oh, my God. That's a great point. <laughs> well, you say that, but he finishes this promo by offering his services to President Bush so he and his team yeah. can go over and, I guess, kill Saddam Hussein. So you can't tell me Hulk Hogan had a magic sense of what's not over because this feud will not be over, yeah. yet he will commit to it very hard. So I well, don't that's know the about that. Yeah. That's the WrestleMania feud. And that's another, but that's another sloppy WWF thing is that we are in the whole, like they already know what's happening at WrestleMania and they don't know how to even book like Hulk Hogan is already building the Sergeant Slaughter feud but the Sergeant Slaughter feud does not exist mm, yeah. you know so they, they don't even know wh what they're inside or outside of at this point <laughs> Vince McMahon what what is with his like terrifying brand of patriotism like he thought this would get over just because of like America I guess in a few years, he will bring in Yokozuna, and he'll be evil because the Japanese are going to, like, buy too much real estate in America and Pearl Harbor and blah, blah, blah. Just, like, just just an insane viewpoint that was really 
I guess in the 80s it was like maybe popular, but like this will not last, and yet Vince will not let it go for a long time. Yeah, it's already we're already past it. Like this far, is not far past. Like people do not feel the way about Iraq that Vince McMahon thinks they do. Yeah. Like it is just not that way. It's also too the fact that even like it's showing overseas. Like no matter how you feel about the war, one way or the other, like we just sent a bunch of people, you know, over there, and they're making a gimmick out of it, and they explain like, oh, well, movies do it, but like. The thing is fresh, and people probably don't even know fully what to make of it right now, and they don't need WWF trying to explain it or teach them how to think because, quite frankly, they're not up for the job. Right, yeah. Those movies come out, like, after, yes. <laughs> like, not Wait, during. Wait, yeah, yeah. Jesus I don't Christ. understand. To me, that's yeah. a distinction. Even the fact that it's showing where they are. Yeah. So, like... If I'm over there, maybe that would pump me up, but like I don't know that I want to be offered a show where Sergeant Slaughter talks to me like that. Like, you know, like who like who is any of this for? It's just like it's uncomfortable. It's like, oh, okay, uh, they're doing this thing. You know, like the country hasn't like had a conversation and figured itself out, but WWF has it all figured out. Like if anything in the world ever works that way, no matter what it is, I'd like to know what it is. It's crazy. Ugh. I don't get it. Yeah, it's um, nothing about it works, and uh, it's just going to continue on and on. Like this will be at SummerSlam next year. We'll still be doing this. Like it's unbelievable. So yeah, I won't be doing it. We'll be talking <laughs> about it. Match made in hell was never. I've never heard a better title. So man, the funny thing about this one is the natural disasters: earthquake, Dino Bravo, Barbarian, and Haku taking on the Hulkamaniacs, Hogan, Tugboat, uh, Hacksaw. And boss man. boss man, and so you got Bobby Heenan and Jimmy Hart in the corner of the natural disasters. So in less than four years, nine out of ten people in this match will be in WCW. Holy crap! Is that something? That's really something. Wow! <laughs> I never Think. even. Uh, holy cr- wait, who's the one? Dino Bravo. He Dino Bravo. dead, unfortunately. Yeah. So. The wow. Bischoff wasn't playing games. Ted Turner wasn't playing games. <laughs> I guess, man, if Dino Bravo was alive, they might have hired him too. They yeah. might have done their own weightlifting segment. So, Isn't yeah. that something? Nine out of ten. I don't even want to go through this whole show and just count how many people will, will end up in WCW and maybe even end their career there because it'll be probably more than half by a lot. So. Yeah, and it's 9 out of 10 with Bobby Heenan and Hulk Hogan being in it. Yeah, wow. That tells you a lot. Things are going to really change around here, that's for sure. The strangest thing is in about two years or less, Barbarian will be challenging for the WCW world title, I think, on pay-per-view. So. Yeah, as much as I like Barbarian, that still is just a weird thing. I will say this. I think the Faces of Fear should have been a permanent fixture from this moment till the very end of their yeah. careers because they are an amazing team and I was looking forward to seeing them in this match, and then Haku will be eliminated in like 10 seconds, and yeah. that made me mad, because Haku is awesome, but uh, still, Faces of Fear, man, I will rep for them all day. Oh, I love the Faces of Fear. Not the three Faces of Fear, mind you, but the Faces of Fear. <laughs> Very important difference that I did not originally <laughs> understand, and now now I would never make that mistake, so... Yes. <laughs> Lord, I bumped into someone. YouTube suggested I watch Sting coming out at the end of Halloween, having to save Hulk Hogan. So this is when 
Hogan is just we, we go into it. We order the pay-per-view to see Hulk Hogan versus Ric Flair. We end the show with Hulk Hogan unmasking a masked man. It turns out to be beefcake with no response from the fans. And then uh, out comes Kevin Sullivan and the shark, I think. And then <laughs> out comes Sting. So all of that is within the four years that we are in right now, too. Holy so. crap. That's incredible. Oh, dear. I don't even know. Oh, this is why this is what we have to do during this because this is dead. There's nothing. The fans are not that much into it. He knows Hulk Hogan. Is he gonna vanquish Earthquake, who he already vanquished uh, at SummerSlam? Well, can he slam Earthquake again? Yes, and then no. You know. <laughs> I'll say this for the match though. I think this is a little better than some of the other matches. And there's I got three words for why. Big boss man. Yeah. He has an awesome performance in here. He continues to be one of the MVPs of this whole era. He's just wrecking everyone in this match, including Bobby Heenan, but he actually has a reason to do it. Take a note, please. And God, just like the energy he is showing in this match is crazy. He and Earthquake do that insane catch spot again where he quite just catches boss man out of midair and uh, man just Big Boss Man is the good part of this match, and when he's gone, there's, like, nothing good left in the match, so... Yeah, Earthquake and Boss Man have some nice spots together. They have this impressive chemistry. Yes. Boss Man is another guy. Like, he's good with anyone, but, like, he... Often big guys don't work well with other big guys, but Boss Man, man, you look at him with Vader, with Earthquake, with a lot of guys. I'm just sad we didn't get Boss Man versus Andre while we had the chance. Boss Man should have been an X-Division champion. <laughs> God, yes. There's a little he's, – he's kind of Samoa Joe-ish, and yeah. peak Samoa Joe is almost as good as it gets, I think. And Boss Man is, like, in that vibe, so that that is a great comparison, actually. That's why he's so good, though, with the big men, because he's a big man in all his other feuds, and then he's getting caught, like, trying to do cross bodies off the top rope and thrown down and all that kind of stuff, waiting with bigger guys. He is so energetic he is so fast he can go off the top rope he is just a marvel and people do not give him enough credit there's also a spot where hacksaw is going to get disqualified for using a two by four and he's going to come in and use it in front of the ref but the ref just sits back it's like is he okay did he do it once did he do it twice like (laughs) there's somewhere it's going to be a disqualification hacksaw but it's like at the three or four but he's just watching before that and like i'm not going to dq him for that (laughs) ridiculous just just terrible i if you if you're doing survivor series bingo you would be smart just to put every space hacksaw gem gets dq'd for using his board because i'm pretty sure every single freaking year he does this same thing and nothing there's no consequences ever and they barely even bother to dq him just like you said jeez jim duggan like you should be glad the warriors here because you're not the worst thing in the company anymore but man you're still up there (laughs) Yeah, and he's not – I used to think, like, he's got a short temper because, you know, he'd come out and attack people and all this. But this is insecurity. Like, you can tell after so many years he is doing this because he's afraid that if he doesn't, he'll get beat in a legitimate way. Either that or he's just a jerk. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I say he's not mad. He doesn't have any kind of emotion, I think. He's not afraid. He just – uh he would just rather hit people with a two-by-four than wrestle them. So, you know, yeah. it is what it is. So- we talked about Bossman and Earthquake, but Earthquake just had a good night because there's also the spot where Hogan puts him in the corner is on the second rope doing punches, and he just takes his body, turns him sideways, and does that slam to him out of those corner punches. 
yeah, yeah. Earthquake uh, redeeming himself mildly in our eyes. I think uh, nothing is going to make me think that this feud was successful because it will limp its way onto the Royal Rumble and it will never be engaging. But, uh, you know, Earthquake was not without ability. Um, it was just, I don't know what it was. Just just didn't work out. So Yeah, again, I don't know who should have won the Rumble. And I don't even need Hogan in it. I don't need him getting eliminated if he doesn't want to. But you could put him in something else. Yeah. Like, I haven't watched it in forever, but I just know that I barely could understand him winning 90. I can't understand back-to-back years. Yeah, I don't begrudge him 90. Um, I really enjoyed that match. But, yeah, in 91, uh, it will be a little too much for sure. I recall that from the last time I watched it. So we'll judge it as we go. We'll maybe pick out who we would have rather seen win it. Yeah. Uh, there's also, who is this with? Earthquake and Tugboat. Oh, Barbarian, yeah, so Hulk Hogan and <laughs> Barbarian. Barbarian Hogan a, are the grand finale, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, Hogan and Barbarian have a double clothesline spot that made me think they were going to main event WrestleMania 7. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's as good a reason as the last one had, so. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, Hogan wins this with just, like, I thought the laziest, just bog-standard <laughs> Hulk-up sequence, and he also beats up Bobby Heenan, so... Check yep. off uh, your third check mark next to Bobby Heenan getting beaten up on this night. So. Yeah, and you're you're doing it in the shadow of the world champion at this point. So again, I don't know what you're getting from it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's that. Hogan wins, of course. That'll be obvious. Yeah. Okay, so this is to me again. This is, might be the, as stale as it has gotten so far, but it's just the fans are not into it that much, and then. We're going to go from Hogan to uh, his former WrestleMania opponent and tag team partner. Gene Oakland on the platform this time brings out the Macho King, Randy Savage. Indeed, and he is dressed as a peppermint tonight. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> that's good. That's, that's, that's going to get you where you're going. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's here to talk to Oakland about the feud that uh, sort of exists, but not really. Um, he did. Mm. Um, Savage is going to take his title back from the Ultimate Warrior. Okerlund criticizes him for having Sherry ask for the title shot instead of him. Um, Savage is unconcerned with these criticisms. So, yeah, I mean, you think almost that they're headed for, like, a Royal Rumble title match for as much as they've been talking about yeah. this. But they will, like, never have a major title match. They will only really have their match after the title is already lost. So I'm sure they wrestle each other at some point on the house shows or something. But it's a weird feud that sort of just exists in conversation until WrestleMania. I think the crowd response is similar to that because it's almost like nobody's booing him and a few fans are cheering him. And it's just kind of this lukewarm, like, okay, we're not mad at you, but I don't think we like you. Like, it seems like he's either returning or leaving or, you know. <laughs> like, I don't know what his story's supposed to be. He keeps correcting Gene Arkland in nice ways. Like Gene says that the warrior, he went looking for you and Savage said, well, he's not looking in the right places. Which is just practical, clearly, because if you didn't find him, then, yeah, he's yeah. not looking in the right places. So He's standing on the ramp the platform. <laughs> warrior's in the building. so Right, yeah, and he's, he's coming out again. In a, yeah, so I don't know. This feud will certainly – I've seen worse, but – yeah, this feud just sort of exists in conversation instead of in practicality. Well, again, I don't know what they're doing because obviously yeah. they're setting up WrestleMania because he says, after I prove to everyone who is the best, I may retire. 
Right. That was a very weird comment as well. Uh, I didn't know what to make of that. So. So it feels like we're building WrestleMania. Yeah. And again, like I just said, Hulk Hogan is doing a gimmick that is meant to be in feud with Sergeant Slaughter, but he's not in feud with Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. Ultimate Warrior and Savage are in a feud that seems like it's meant to be a world title match at Royal Rumble, but they're not doing it, and they're hinting at what WrestleMania is going to be. Like, I don't know if they know what they're doing or they overknow what they're doing, but something, <laughs> you know, something's not clicking, right? Yeah, I don't know if the plan was set here or not. Yeah. Like, clearly they've moved on, I think, from Tugboat, but yeah, like, as far as what will the title match be, were they thinking maybe Savage and Warrior would be the title match and Hogan and Slaughter would be a different match and something different happens at the Rumble? I have no idea. Um, because like I mentioned, I feel like they're going to show a lack of faith in the ultimate warrior later tonight. But then also, like you said, it almost seemed warrior was maybe more popular than Hogan for once. So I don't know how to interpret any of this, to be honest. (laughs) Like, it's just weird. And none of it is really quite working the way it's supposed to. So I really don't know. Yeah. And is the answer we're, we're on the, we're on a path to savage and warrior, but Sergeant Slaughter is just so hot by the fact that nobody's responding to him that we need to shove him into the main event. You know, like, I, I don't know any way I can't like like you, you, you just said it. Like, how do you interpret this? Because none of it makes sense. I don't know. I, I don't listen to Bruce Pritchard, but if anyone does and can shed light on this, I guess uh, I will entertain what might be lies, but might be insight, as always with Bruce Pritchard. And... I think it's a lot of that. It's just I, I haven't listened to it in a while. But I know he mainly just talks about. <laughs> Defends all this stupid shit that they do with, uh. Right, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. You know, the. Okay, so that's Savage out there for no reason. Like, you know, he's just. Yeah, not wrestling, just. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's strange. Like, identity crisis. There's no Sherry out there. Savage is talking about he might retire, but he also might be world champion. Um, it's very weird. Boris Zukov can get booked on Survivor Series, but not Randy Savage. So I don't know what what the thought process there is. Yeah, uh, um, uh, <clears throat> we're about to go to the next matchup, but the, Gene Oakland is going to make the unfortunate mistake of stopping Sergeant Slaughter on his way to the ring. Oh God, yeah. I don't know. This could be the low point of the show. Um, yeah. Sergeant Slaughter. Cuts just a laborious promo where, like, it's in his or the way he talks and it's very slow and strained. And he's just like describing his dinner. And I'm not kidding. He takes like, I think, three minutes or more just to describe what he ate for dinner. And I guess the point is, like, Aha, the troops can't have a nice dinner like I had. And man, yeah. it's just the longest, slowest, not heat getting at all yeah. promo that maybe I've heard in the entire Legacy series so far. So that's that's really something. Yeah, the troops can't have the nice experience I have because I'm in the United States. <laughs> Which I don't love at all. Right. <laughs> I wish I was in Iraq, also not having this meal that I loved, so... Like, you can't even put the pieces together here. It's oh, nonsense. So you might bad. as well I don't sacrifice the skeletons. I would just stop him and be like, hey, man, don't do it. <laughs> like, I don't feel like he wants to do what he's going to do. It's right. not going to get him very far. It's going to waste a year of my life. You know, just don't do it. Just don't do it, man. Oh. It's a nightmare of a promo. It reminds me. Here's a weird thing that it reminds me of, because when I was watching wrestling in the 90s, uh, we moved 
and we had to stay at uh, at a place in between. And so it was like a year that we didn't have cable. So the only wrestling I could see was the shows that would show up. And WWF was in the Diesel era. And I remember thinking when I watched it, the Ted DiBiase's Alliance was like the top hill stable. And it's not the Ted DiBiase that we're talking about right now. It's not the kind of stable we, we would imagine. But when I watched the WWF, I felt like they never had their lights on in the air. Like it was always like pitch dark in the building and there was no fans and no lights. And all of a sudden on this show, which the 80s and 90s are nothing like this. When Sonya Slaughter came out and they were on the ramp, it's like all the lights went out and the arena shrunk. And there was nobody there, and it was just like, is this 94, 95? Is this, is this Diesel era now? I don't know what happened. That was my experience with the promo. Yeah. Imagine, <laughs> listen to this promo, listen to the lack of heat, the lack yeah. of reaction, and really try to convince yourself that someone cared enough to send a bomb threat that made them move yeah. from a big building to an also big building that just couldn't have quite so many fans in it. Like, just imagine the lie of that like i don't know like strange things can happen so who knows for sure but it sure doesn't feel that way at all yeah there's two ways to look at that lie number one it didn't happen or number two if there were bomb threats and they still could fill the building i think they would be in the building (laughs) there you go you know even if it's true it's still false so yeah this is just i feel like this ought to be against diesel like that's the only way this deserves to happen it's got that flavor. It does. Oh, my God. And that camel clutch, I think, would challenge the, the back and upper body of Diesel. So he might actually take the bell from him. <laughs> why Why didn't Undertaker get that nod, I wonder? If all, the only prerequisite was to be tall, like, yeah. I don't know, a different 95 maybe we could have gotten. But, oh, well. Well, I've heard the Bruce Pritchard response to that is, is, oh, he didn't need it. He didn't need the bell. He didn't need it. I hate that. You said that before, and I kind of get it, but I hate that because the belt, sometimes the belt needs you. Like, that's that's true more often, I think. That was beautifully said, my friend. (laughs) You know, that's always such a cop out. Like, no, you didn't give it to him. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. But, like, you know, because I don't know if every guy that deserves it always can get it. But, like, sometimes just say, hey, it's complicated, and, you know, we made a different choice, but. That, it's such a cop out that people don't say it's like they just like mm, yeah mm, sure I get I get that no he just he didn't give you an answer is what that was <laughs> oh for sure man okay. I don't yeah. I almost never do this but I've seen this match before and I ended up fast forwarding through a lot of it because God what a godforsaken match mm. you got Boris Zukov you got Weird American Nikolai Volkov. You got the freaking Bushwhackers defending America or something. Yeah. What is with the, like, the American team has no Americans on it. It's like, it's a two Australians or New Zealanders. I'm sorry, I forget which. Uh, Nikolai, the, the Russian guy, and then Tito, you know, from Mexico. So, uh, what? It kind of like, makes sense. Like, you just got to, like, find somebody who wants to be part of it, and probably nobody does. <laughs> Jeez. Bushwhackers don't know any better. They sure don't. Uh, I refuse to take notes in this, by the way. <laughs> so you and I are on the same page. I will say, I'm not doing it. Yeah, no, it's not good. Um, I say the only redeeming bit of this is, in the end, it comes down to Tito Santana and Sergeant Slaughter, and Tito actually does get a fair bit of stuff to do, and I will never completely 
deny the the pleasure of watching Tito Santana. So there's a little bit of good stuff at the end. Um, but still, this is a bad match overall. It's a bad idea for a match. And it ends with yet another lame disqualification. So they get Slaughter out of there. So I guess he doesn't have to get um, a lame DQ in the main event, which I'm sure they would have done anyway. So just lame DQs for days here. Yeah. I love that you highlighted this last week for the show, but there are consequences. And <laughs> if you sat through um, the Vince Russo era and WCW Legacy Series, there are some things they're not going to get. They're going to get the attention they deserve. Yep. This was a nightmare, and there no the fans were completely out of it. Yeah. It's also in an era that's stupidly so, but but so only it, the only way that you come back and persevere is if you're a good guy. And yet the whole match is built around Sergeant Slaughter's whole team being eliminated, and then one at a time he takes out the rest. So they give him like a gimmick that only baby faces really get, mm-hmm. and they give it to Sergeant Slaughter right now. Huh. It's unfortunate, because, like, I've watched uh, Back Farther in the 80s and stuff. Honestly, I like Sergeant Slaughter, and I don't think he was a bad performer or anything, but he was not good enough to elevate this, because I think very few people would have been, so it's just it's just bad stuff. I honestly think right now what made Yokozuna so great is the fact that he didn't talk. <laughs> you know, so he could be a presence of a heel, yeah. but he didn't fall into this nonsense where you have to watch someone try to justify this kind of stuff where really all it's like, I'm really evil. I don't even like myself right now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very smart to give him a manager, Mr. Fuji, who could also barely talk. <laughs> And yeah. then to bring in Cornette to sort of tie it all together. So, there you go. I also just had to put, because please don't watch this matchup. But if you are an idiot, and I don't think we have these people in our audience, thankfully, at least the ones that speak to us. But if you think, oh, well, Lex Luger was never WWF champion because he just wasn't over enough. Then watch <laughs> this matchup and realize Sergeant Slaughter is a WWF champion. And then tell me Lex Luger wasn't over enough to be world champion. Oh, my God. Yeah. Many false narratives there. Yeah, there's no response to like this is the beginning of the war. <clears throat> I haven't looked it up to make sure, but the way they're talking, it sounds like we're at least outside the country at this time, <laughs> and nobody cares about what you're saying. Like, there's no response, and they're gonna make him the world champion. But Lex Luger, he wasn't over enough, you know. <laughs> He's the only one that gets applications put to him. Like, like yeah. you have to be over enough, and it's not just a Vince McMahon decision. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, this Sergeant Slaughter reign we're coming up on, I think, is really going to change the texture of what a WWF title reign means. Because, uh, like you said, um, you know, with Ultimate Warrior, at least you can't deny he was over. Like, he yeah. had tons of problems. But, man, he was very over. Yes. Sergeant Slaughter, he's not. And, you know, more and more... It'll be possible to become a champion without being over. And even though Warrior Slaughter is really, he's more of a transitional guy, but he's not like one of these transitional guys from the old days who's champion for like a day. You know, he'll yeah. be champion for a few months. He'll get a huge program built around him, and uh, it will just not succeed. It will just not be good. Yeah, and you could have had Luger. Luger could have dropped the belt back to Yoko at Survivor Series or Rumble if he, you know, if he wasn't sure. good enough to carry it. Yeah, you know, that could have easily happened. So uh, transitional champion or not. Watch if you if you believe that narrative, then your punishment is to watch this matchup and explain to me how Sergeant Slaughter was more over. <laughs> it's funny how people when they want to make arguments, they kind of pick and choose like 
thoughts like that that they want to have. I, I hear yeah. a lot now, certain types of fans complain, oh, well, whenever somebody's a fan of someone and they're like, oh, it'd be great if he was world champion. Like, say you like Cesaro. I love Cesaro. I would yeah. mark out if he was world champion. I understand maybe he won't be, but then you get people who would be like, Cesaro can't be world champion. Not everyone could be world <laughs> champion. And I'm like, guess what? It wasn't my idea that everyone could be world champion. I didn't make the company make guys like Jack Swagger be champion. So if Jack Swagger can be champion, then anyone could be champion. It's not my fault. I'm just responding to the world that we are in. So for God's sakes, just calm down, let people like what they like, and just admit that uh, this is a company that makes big mistakes sometimes. Yeah. And if you don't want to talk context, then just don't talk to me. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know, because you can't, like... Everybody can be a world champion now, and Cesaro could be a world champion if they decided to make him a champion. So, yeah. you know, so don't say otherwise. Like who, who is who can't be a world? Like I, I really think if you tried sincerely to make that list, it would be far shorter who cannot be a champion than who can. I don't even know who would be on it because all it takes is one decision or one thing happening, and you know you got your belts to choose from too. You know you don't have a single belt, so yeah. yeah. Standards. It's a way to say Cesaro could be world champion for sure. <laughs> I mean, I was not the one who set the bar. It always <laughs> irks me so much when you get people who want to blame wrestling fans for things. And man, God knows wrestling fans, they can annoy me sometimes. They can mystify me sometimes. But always, 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 they are responding to something that was put in mm. front of them. They didn't come up with whatever's happening you know, they're just responding in the way that seems best to them. So if that annoys you, then maybe follow that thread back a little bit further and find out why that happened. And I guarantee you it did not originate with the fans. Well, Sheamus was world champion, right? Yeah, yeah, he was. I don't know what he's got then. Like Cesaro, they're kind of, you know. Right, kinda... yeah. I like I like Sheamus as well. I don't begrudge him that title reign. But, yeah, you can't look and say, like, oh, well, that, you know, not everyone could be world champion. Don't be stupid. You know, I hate that talking point. So, you know, anyone could be world champion, just like you said. You know, that that's just where the standard is. So Yeah. And then if you can plug them into a model, like, you know, if it fits with other guys, like then even more so. And... Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, we're not even talking about, like, Jack Swagger, I think, could not have succeeded as champion because I just don't think he had it. But, yeah, like we're talking about guys who in the current model, like with the standards they have, I don't know. We're off topic, but, yeah, so whatever. <laughs> I'm a Daniel Bryan fan, but, you sure. know, I knew that once CM Punk won it, it was a lot more likely that Daniel Bryan could win it because like we were setting up a kind of a mold, you know. Yeah. And, like, to me, like a Sheamus, I don't, I don't know what Sheamus has that a um, Cesaro doesn't, you know. It's like a – Good look, you know, intense presentation, and you just fill in the fill in the gaps wherever you need to fill them in. <laughs> Precisely. So, whew, all right. <clears throat> Imagine being the guy that's wrestling now, but you can't be a world champion. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, what crime did you commit? Oh my god. I don't want to say this. I'm gonna be quiet because I don't watch wrestling. Anything that I say about the last twenty years, that if you're suspect about it, you have every right to be, folks. But because Seth, I like. Seth Rollins, for example, like I like there's a time that I would watch and be like, oh, Seth Rollins had a great match or Randy Orton had a great match or somebody had a great match. Mm. But there's something about his demeanor. Yeah, it tells me like, yeah, anybody can be a world champion. (laughs) I'll leave it there. Oh, fair enough. It's a different different time and different context for sure. 
this is such a nightmare when I have to, I wrote down Sean Mooney heels because it's like, <laughs> I don't know why it bothered me so much because we know who the good guys and the bad guys and whatever else, but the fact that they're just on the teams, that's something about it. Just it's like, it's the laziness of the way it's played out. Yeah. Not, the fact there's not even a conversation yeah. about who's on whose team. Like, sure. that We know where they're going to sit in the end, but at least like make some pretense that like yeah. you don't have these black and white lines. I, I don't know. Yeah. I get you. Um, Martel praises his whole team for surviving. And I, I didn't mention it before, but I never picked it up. They call themselves the visionaries because he blinded Jake Roberts. And that's, yes. that's a wonderful little touch there. That's great. It's beautiful. I got it only because when they first named it, I was like, these are the most ridiculous names because why would you name a, t- a heel team the visionaries? Like <laughs> they just, I think they just want a V in both names. And then I was like, Oh, he blinded him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good actually. Uh, so yes, Martel praises the team. Uh, DiBiase, he cuts a great promo. I mentioned it before. He predicts that Hogan and Warrior uh, can't combine and be a team, and uh, they'll make a liar out of him. They won't play up on that idea at all for some reason, but uh, it was a good thought to create some intrigue around the match. <laughs> it was, and it's also a great promo because the model is going to praise Ted DiBiase for his resources, his knowledge. DiBiase is going to praise them for all surviving, so the way that they show love and show character is, again, it's just it's a lesson on how to be, and it's coming from one locker room and not the other. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I don't know. So the next segment is the Galilee Gooker, and uh, for anyone who is not familiar with this, uh, don't, don't bother watching it. Uh, basically, a big turkey comes out of an egg, a giant egg, and the fans boo it immediately. <laughs> just in this era, something that's not a heel, and the fans just hated it right away. That tells you something. Um, he he dances around with Okerlund for an absurdly long time. So uh, I don't know. Was this better or worse than the weightlifting segment? To me, it was worse than that, and was far superior to Sergeant Slaughter's segment. <laughs> As sad but true. Um, the only say, reason, at least, it did not feel as long as the weightlifting segment. But then again, at least that had a purpose. So I think I would go along with you. Yeah, because they built this up too. So this is something that for weeks you were wondering, like, oh, what are they doing? And they made it a priority. Yeah. And they also thought that they were going to turn him into a wrestler. Was the plan? Apparently, which is baffling. Um, this is WCW. I... I just right. don't you get don't it. get to talk about RoboCop when the Goblin yeah. exists. <laughs> this guy was going to be a wrestler, and then even when he was, like, there's a great moment. There is one child that they finally focus on who is having a good time, but there is a moment <laughs> where they're rolling around the ring, and Roddy Piper says, uh, the kids, um, something about how much the kids are enjoying it, and there are four kids in the front row who are on camera while saying it, and three of them are stone-faced, and one of them looks like he's yawning. <laughs> so... God, if that doesn't encapsulate the bad parts of this era, I don't know what does. Just like entertainment that is meant for children that fails both with children and adults. So that's bad stuff. And somehow it just this just makes it so much worse for me for some reason. I can't even maybe articulate it. But in that outfit, do you know who's in the outfit? Hector Guerrero. Hector Guerrero, brother of Eddie Guerrero, very talented wrestler. And this is what they have him doing, and it just makes it worse. It gives me a little sick taste in my mouth, so it's bad stuff. 
Don't, I looked it up because I was like, this, is, this guy knows how to move in that stupid costume is yeah, what made me look it up. Yeah. No, and I felt bad because just, yeah, my God. he praises Vince McMahon years later. He's like, he wanted to do it for the kids and give them something. And he tries, you know, he tries to defend it. But this is just, this goes with the Hogan stuff, like the slaughter stuff. Like this is a, we're getting into what we had not seen before, which is we don't really care what the fan reception is. You're going to, you're going to, you know, you're going to deal with it. And, you know, again, we were talking about goodwill burns out, and I believe that's true. But there's also something else happening where when you get away with something and you don't see, like, the fans walk away, your arrogance and ability to execute even bigger and more disrespectfully also increases. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And we're in it, man. This is – I didn't make it up because I, I think Slaughter will definitely get booed. I don't think he's burned the American flag yet or not, but, like, there's no way he's not going to get booed. All the way through WrestleMania, but sure. I, my thought was going to be that they were going to be having a fit every time he was out there. That's what my expectation was. But we are we're two two events in, and they haven't responded to him yet. No, they haven't. And like you said, I'm sure they will. Like I remember him getting booze later on, but it's like courtesy booze because he's yep. against Hogan. Like it's not about America, really. Like no one's invested in that part. They'll only invest when he's against Hogan, I think. And maybe slot, maybe Warrior. We'll see at the Rumble. So, yeah. I think this is going to be more, too, that is going to do more to pull Hogan down than bring Slaughter up. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Hey, I've said many times, it's the feud. Like, Hogan's already phoning it in. But, yeah, just like the, the, the promos he cuts in 1991 are not forgivable to me because every single one is about dead children. Oh, The Undertaker is going to kill all the children. Oh, Sergeant Slaughter is going to kill all the children. And it's just the laziest stupidest stuff so yes hogan will will stoop to the level he will make me ashamed that i praised him in the andre feud you know because he will just uh reveal himself to be a shell an uninterested shell of himself over the next year or two i'm surprised they didn't put a hulkamaniac in the in the casket <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it seems like something they would have done for sure oh dear so yeah this is this is the worst. Uh, Sean Booney's about to be with Hogan and Tito and Warrior. And you think, oh my goodness, Tito's having a night. He's with Hogan and Warrior. No, they have simply de- descended down to where he lives. He has not risen up to the main event. <laughs> and this we'll see not... just how much he uh, belongs in yeah. there in a moment. Um, so yeah, this was a, a very interesting promo. Not at all in a good way. but um, So we start with Hogan, and he praises Warrior in his promo, but... I don't know if you felt this, but I felt like the way he talks about Warrior, he might as well have been talking about, like, Coco Beware yeah. or, like, just any random, low-level baby face, like, showing him a lot less love than he would have, like, Tugboat or somebody. So uh, that was interesting to me. It also begins with Sean Mooney saying, Hulkster, your team of three. Mm, yes. Yes, this is what I'm talking about. This and the match to follow will really put me in mind that they don't have faith in the Ultimate Warrior. And that was probably nowhere was it captured so much as Warrior will again be screaming about skeleton sacrifices. And in the middle of his conversation, they will cut to Hulk Hogan doing nothing, just like flexing and standing there. And for like a good chunk of the promo, they will just look at Hulk Hogan. And if that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what will. You are not lying. It is one of the strangest things. It's like the camera messed up and like the audio and the visual disrupted. And we're just watching Hulk Hogan's tricep. 
and a weird look on his face. And in history, most of the time they decide their WrestleMania match around Survivor Series. And what it feels like to me is that Hulk, I don't know if the Warriors have been told, but I feel like Hulk Hogan has been told uh, we're going away from the Ultimate Warrior because you are exactly right in that he is acting as if he is out there with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And it's just some random guy. I have no problem putting you over. There's no urgency. There's no heat between us. Like the little guy is going to go out there and, you know. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's something about it just, it definitely feels that way. Cause he's like, oh, it's so nice. The little warriors follow the warrior. And then the host, and then he's just like back in yeah. on himself. And yeah, I don't know. That camera cut, it could have been a mistake because it looked weird, but it also could have been very intentional because they know, I think, who people want to see. You know, yeah. Warrior may have gotten more pops in the arena, but we know that Hulk Hogan was doing the drawing on the house show circuit yeah. film, so. I think Hogan knows this. There's, there's no heat. There's no gimmick heat, and there's no Hulk Hogan throwing shade on the side. Like yeah. He is completely at peace with the Ultimate Warrior, and to me, there's only one way that would be. Like Flair passing on to Sting, and just, mm-hmm. you know, Hogan, I think, had confidence that uh, Warrior would flop. And that is why, to me, the story of him walking back in the ring to get attention uh, falls flat, because I, I think he knew that he didn't need to do a single thing to keep people's attention. I think he really had confidence that it would come back to him and it was definitely borne out. Yeah. Warrior got a new look. He got a new hair. He got slower promos, you know, but it, if anything, maybe it just reveals it more. I don't know. <laughs> it, it definitely didn't put him over the top. So the, the baffling experiment will soon come to an end. Yeah. You think about when Hulk Hogan, let Macho Man know that he that he's betray he's planned to betray him the entire time and they were never for him, yeah. you know. Savage was never accepted as a world champion. Like he might as well be giving the Warrior a shoulder rub and being like, "This is our world champion, you know? Ain't he cute? You know? I think he knows because yeah. we got to know too. If we're moving to Slaughter taking the belt at Royal Rumble, we probably know that we're going away, you know? Yeah. Oh dear! I don't think Warrior knows the difference. And yeah, he wants his money, of course, but you know, I don't think he knows the difference whether you know his career is on the up or the down. No, I, a very uh, person lacking self-awareness, it seems, in many aspects of his life. So, yeah. No, I so. like in his matches. I don't think he knows like where people are or like what's happening. So why mm. would he know it in his career or his promos or his championships? So, yeah. This is uh, I don't know. Hogan's so bland. And warrior, so warrior, you know, when the intentionality is gone from Hogan, I don't know what's left. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll, I'll tell you what's left. Some booze at the Royal Rumble coming up. Yeah. You know, that's what's left for him. So, Ooh, I think they, they heel. Mm-hmm. I think they should have called an audible and, and had the heels win this. <laughs> <laughs> they should have called an audible and had Tito win this, you know, mm. so... <laughs> I'll say I really wanted to like this match in spite of everything, and I actually did like it at the start because the first thing that happens is Tito Santana takes out the Warlord. He looks great doing it, and I think it's great continuity because what happened to Warlord at the end of this match? He got DDT'd straight to hell, and he could, like, barely stand up. So even though he looked like he recovered, he wasn't recovered. He gets taken out right away. We get some nice Tito stuff, unfortunately, Soon after, he is eliminated, and from there, uh, the match starts to decline quickly, I think. Yeah. 
This felt like when I tried to watch Roman Reigns as a babyface world champion. <laughs> like, I knew what was going to happen, and nobody was going to respond much. And Warrior did get response, but the rest of it, Hogan's flat. Tito's going to be gone. And it's like, bad booking when someone is super over. It gets hidden a little bit. You know, you're on the outside looking in, and you, you're the problem because everybody's enjoying it. But when night when it's not super over and it's just bad booking, then it's, you know it shows itself differently. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this as well. Um, Hogan, I agree that he came out flat here, but this match is probably what like about ten minutes. Yeah. You get the first first thirty seconds maybe for Tito, and then Warrior gets like thirty seconds at the end, and maybe like thirty seconds where he tags in for a second, and the other like eight eight and a half minutes is all Hogan. So yeah. this is another sign to me that like. They they don't really want to rely on Warrior for anything. Like they think that Hogan needs to like yeah. prop him up, and they're right to be honest. No, they're right. It's it's I don't know if it's because it's Hartford, Connecticut, and like I don't know what they like or don't like because that's that's about them like them making decisions about what Southern people are like. So I <laughs> I'm not the one to say. Okay. But I think Hogan's Hogan's selling out. Like the the house shows Warrior is not on any other night. This is the exact way to do it. But it just so happens that they're cheering Warrior more. So now Hogan's in there almost like a glory hog and just doing everything to almost no reception, like or a lower reception. Yeah. So it's the right choice in the wrong building. And that just signifies all the more that your problems are bigger than one or two moves right now. Yeah, that's the thing. Like neither of these guys is really um, at this point working out the way you hope because they'll switch yeah. to Hogan. And he won't sell at that arena either, you know. Yeah. So it's Good it's point. a problem with the company. It's not just like one guy or two guys. So they got what they deserved on this one. Oh, they did. They really did. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you watch it, I really watch it. Watch when he tags Warrior, the ovation he gets versus Hogan, and then you got Hogan hogging the ring the whole time because it's already booked before they go out there. And then you got Hogan coming in and counting the three into one thing he let the Warrior do. And so <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah. Uh, I'll give credit in this match first to DiBiase who I think looked awesome again uh, I've always popped for his fist drops they're so good we haven't talked about them enough those fist drops are awesome and the way he's like bumping around and selling towards the end really hammered home how he is like the WWF's Ric Flair at this point and he's really living up to that name he did very well I really like Ted I really enjoyed Ted, or Rick Martel just bailing on the match, even when they had, like, a huge advantage. He was just, like, tired of it. It was very Martell-like. And, again, DiBiase had this great reaction where he's, like, screaming at Martell. So, some very yes. good stuff there. Beyond that, everything in this match sucked. So, <laughs> that'll tell you something. This was an amazing night for Martell because, again, yes. he had that big win, and then he praises DiBiase, and then he just shows himself, like, by running away from the match. <laughs> He's he's in, he's entering another like a higher level. He's not going to stay there probably too long, but he's shown that he can be on a higher level than they've let him be. Absolutely, I I think there's going to be a lot of Martel stuff that I like. Uh, I feel like opinion is mixed, but he's going to have a match with Shawn Michaels um, yes. at SummerSlam '92 that I really enjoy. And uh, of course, he'll be there into like wrestling Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental Title. Like he's got a lot of great stuff still coming up. So I will continue to rep the model as we go forward. Well said. I think what blows my mind is Hogan's performance and Warrior's Warrior 
DiBiase is bringing so much drive. I don't know if he's under yeah. the impression that what he does is going going to matter again, but like there's something driving DiBiase that's not driving other people right now. I'm trying to remember. What, does he do something at WrestleMania that is like notable? I don't know okay. if he does. He ought to. I'm gonna look this up a second. WrestleMania seven. What's Ted DiBiase doing? The fact that I can't remember isn't a good sign, but um, uh, oh duh, of course he's gonna wrestle Virgil in like one of the best programs of the year. So you know, yeah, I didn't want to say it that loud. Uh, fair enough, you got it. So Virgil, I mean, it's weird because it's not like a high quality opponent, like high priority or anything. But man, that feud is gonna be so incredible. So I don't know. I guess. Uh, I don't know if that's a reward or if just one more thing that he made great when it could have been not great, but uh, probably the second one. But still, more love to DiBiase is coming up here. Absolutely. I was going to pull up the 1991 Royal Rumble card, and I pulled up the 90 in the first two matches. I was about to say, like, I can't watch this. <laughs> I saw the Bushwhackers, then I saw Brutus Beefcake. We already suffered through that. There's no more Brutus Beefcake. He doesn't exist anymore. Um well, this looks a lot Rumble, I think, overall is actually a pretty strong card, so I'm really looking forward to it, actually. This looks like a fantastic card. We got yeah. the Rockers versus Orient Express. Famous Barbarian match. versus Bossman. Ooh, really good. Uh, we got Warrior Slaughter, heavyweight title. Yeah, well. Uh, Coco Mountie. Yeah! Yes. Um, and so Dustin and Dusty versus DiBiase and Virgil. Really good stuff. And the Rumble, even though... You know, Hogan winning, I think, is a little disappointing. It's still a good Rumble, as most Rumbles are. So it's it's going to be probably the best card we've seen in a while. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Yes. We got Shane Douglas in there. He's usually on the dark matches, but he's in the Rumble. That's gonna be yeah, yeah. He's going to get a tiny little push here. So we're going to see him in a weird place that you wouldn't expect. So Man, Undertaker's in Rumble, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm actually, that's the most excited I've been for a big show by just glancing at the, the card in a little bit, so. Yeah, no, we're going to, 91 will have its flaws, but I think even before we reach that really strong kind of later period, like, I was talking to a guy who uh, knows the WWF inside and out, like, beyond WrestleMania era, like, all this stuff. I, I was talking about him, his favorite years, and 91 was one of the top ones for him. So mm. I think we'll find some really good stuff in that era. We already know we will in the later half, but even before that, I think some really strong stuff is going to come. So maybe we're almost over the hump here with a, a very weak 1990. I love that. It's also, for me, it's going to be fun because WrestleMania 7 is the last one where I really have no experiential memory of it. Whereas when we get to eight and then nine, especially nine onward, you know, I remember them from being there and having vested interest in what happens in them. Right. Right. Yeah. Seven. I don't remember much. Like I know it's Hogan slaughter and you just told me DiBiase Virgil, but I really, and we got Jake and model, but like, I don't, I don't have any, uh, Memory for what it feels like, what it looks like, all that, what it, you know, all that kind of stuff. Savage Warrior too, but yeah, no, there's some. Oh, Savage Warrior, that sounds like a good WrestleMania. It, I think it is a good WrestleMania overall, main event notwithstanding. So we'll yeah. we'll see some good stuff on that show. Uh, well, they, perfect the Boss Man again too, and I, I'll tell you, like I'm, I, that pairing is so perfect to me. We're gonna talk about that in a minute, but that's uh, good stuff. Who do we have at Boss Man with? Bossman and Perfect again. So. Okay, nice. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I was thinking we'd have Bossman and Mountie, but... No, that's SummerSlam. That's great, too. I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, but, uh, 
Yes, we already mentioned Hogan no-sells the powerplex, which was just like a crime <laughs> beyond nature in this match. I, I have to pause a minute and just reiterate what you said. This is one of the coolest moves they have. This tag team, which should be like up and coming, and uh, they're not going to get the respect that they should get. And that really starts here when Hogan not only kicks out of the powerplex, but like pops up and he acts like nothing happened to him. So bad stuff, bad stuff. It's also Paul Roma. When you look at him, he he's like super ripped and all of that, but like he looks tiny when Hulk Hogan, you know, with Hogan and Hogan kicks out. Is this something? It made that whole move look small. Like I'm almost thinking, like, why did I think I was impressed by that move? And <laughs> Damn. that's the goal. Oh, that hurts. Yeah, good for them. You you destroy the team. That has so much potential. I don't care if it's WWF, WCW. You could put power and glory almost anywhere, and if you booked them right, they could they could have had a they could have made a mark in history. Absolutely, it's a good team, very good team. Um, I will take any chance to praise them, certainly, and uh, we won't get nearly as many chances as we should, but we'll make the most of it in the meantime. Man, yeah. So that is uh, we end with like Hogan and the Warrior in the ring, and like to me, the takeaway is it doesn't really matter. So yay. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, Hogan and Barbarian was weird earlier, but perhaps even weirder now. Hogan and Hercules are like the final competitors here. And then I guess Warrior is also there. But yeah, like uh, you mentioned it. Hogan running in the ring to obnoxiously count along with the referee was just cringeworthy. Just 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 awful. So we end the bad half of a show, which really was definitely of two halves with that. And. Yeah, the the cheers of the fans will cover a multitude of sins, and Hulk Hogan's bad behavior when the fans aren't cheering it is a particular kind of awful. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Uh, bad stuff, bad stuff. All right, so we got one more match that we're going to cover. It's a match I am very excited to talk about. Um, we decided to opt out of, uh, the main event, which aired the night after Survivor Series, I believe, November yeah. 23, um, probably for the best that we did so, but there was one match that I, I was intent that we cover, I'm very glad we did, and it is Big Boss Man taking on Mr. Perfect, I'm excited to get into this one. Yeah, obviously it's a good matchup because it's the Boss Man and Mr. Perfect, but I will make the argument that neither one of them is the MVP. I they are neck and neck like they are both brilliant in this match. I can't believe that nobody talks about these matches because to me these guys are so perfectly paired and they put so much into these matches that they're just fantastic, I think. And yet you would never even know that this feud happened if you just like looked into the narrative or like you asked somebody about it who didn't like take a close look at this era. So, I don't understand it. These matches are so good. Like, this one is, is just wonderful, I think. I strongly encourage everyone to check it out. Yeah, perfect bumps for the boss man, like the boss man bumps for Earthquake. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Oh, God, the bumps of Mr. Perfect. All right, before we get to the match, we're backstage. Gene Okerlund is talking to Big Boss Man. Uh, Big Boss Man says nobody can prevent him from punishing Heenan, showing justice, Nothing gets stopping from showing justice for my mama, and he's so fired up about his mom, and, like, that's how you do a feud, man. Like, why yeah. don't they know this in the main event, for God's sake? That's a great question. This has been ongoing. We talked about it. We gave you options to watch the compilation on uh, YouTube. It's fantastic. 
is something that Bobby Heenan has gotten away with his whole life. He's making jokes about other people being in the broadcast booth, but it's the wrong joke about the wrong person in the wrong context. And Bossman is going to make him pay. And you know that Bobby Heenan knows this is a man who's been threatened. He's been beat up his whole life, but he knows the difference. He knows what side of the line he is on. And my goodness. And this is what I meant. Like, uh, I, I'm going to let you kind of big up the match because I enjoyed it, but I think you enjoyed it even more. But to me, uh, my highlight happens um, in a, in the back and a run and a slide and a promo after. So, But all of it is great stuff. Oh, I promised you a great running segment. And I think yeah, it was oh my period, gosh. So. <laughs> like, I feel the anxiety in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, can you imagine insulting the big boss man and him feeling that way about you? Oh God, I'd be terrible. I'd be running just the same. So I can yeah. I can almost empathize with Heenan here, even though he dug his own grave. But um, I was just thinking, what a nice touch it is. This is a beautiful touch. How great is it that he insulted Bossman's mother, not Bossman himself? Yes. It would have been real easy to just insult Bossman, but there's like a special flavor. You talk about somebody's mother. There's no call for it. There's no reason. You have no beef with their mother. You're just bringing her into it just because you think it's funny. God, this feud is, like, so perfect. I love it. Oh, yeah. I, I went to school. Like, this is a definitely a Southern boy type. Like, I went <laughs> to school with people like this that, you know, not only are they nice, they're easygoing. You probably can make fun of them all day, and it's going to be okay. But you make fun of the wrong thing, and it's like, this is what happens. And Bobby Heenan, you know, he like I said, he's done it all before, but it was the wrong thing at the wrong time. And, man. I'm just, I implore you, like, watch this whole thing. Bobby Heenan should win. Like, he should be winning, I guess, Emmys, because Emmys are TV, right? So, yeah, yeah. He, he should be winning Emmys. I don't know why it's not daytime <laughs> television. <laughs> no respect for wrestling, for sure. There ought to be. But, um, yeah, uh, and another nice touch there's no Bobby Heenan at the start of this. He'll yeah. keep his distance until he sees an opportune moment, which is great. I love this. Too. I was just thinking this. This is not just a payoff of the months where he spent insulting Bossman's mother, and they built that up so beautifully, but it's not just the payoff of that. It feels like the payoff of all the insults that Bobby Heenan has done over the years. And like you mm-hmm. said, he spent so much time insulting people, insulting, insulting, oftentimes really getting no comeuppance for it, and now it all really comes crashing down here. He crossed the wrong line at the wrong time. Oh, it's so good. I love it. It's so good. Yeah, and it's also, I think... The fact that there is a core part of Hulk Hogan and Bobby Heenan where both of them are frauds and crooks. So <laughs> like you watch for years and years where they are the most intense feud. And you, you notice some of it's real. Some of it captivates you. But you also think about like two politicians who turn the whole country <laughs> against each other. And you don't even know that they're just actors and they're in on it together. So I think Hogan, like Bobby Heenan knows that. Hulk Hogan and Bobby Heenan both know like it can get personal and we can dislike each other, but we both know that we're good for each other. So there are lines to be drawn because at the end of the day, we're both making money. Mm. And I don't think Bossman is in that kind of situation with you, Bobby Heenan. <laughs> Nobody told him it was uh, part of the game. You know, he, he yeah. took it all seriously and now you can't take it back. God, there really is a feeling of that, isn't there? It is. And the, how did Bossman turn face? He turned down money. So like he's already outside the the Hogan Heenan equation. 
It's the wrong man. It's the wrong joke. It's the wrong time. And it culminates. And God bless WWF for all that we have said to realize, to take a joke and fit it to the characters and make it matter this much. This right here is another example of the kind of booking that we talked about in the 80s that we have been spoiled by and that we expect now. And we're not going to settle for less. Yeah. This is probably Bobby Heenan's last great feud that he gets like physically involved in, which mm. is unfortunate. But uh, it's a great culmination because we've seen a lot of people who had issues with Heenan and they were like, I'm going to fight the whole family and then I'm going to get you. And a lot of times it just doesn't happen. You know, they just fight like their one opponent and that's basically it. And, you know, the issue goes away after a while. And some of those feuds are still great. But, man, Boss Man, he's already fought Haku. He's fighting perfect multiple times. He's going to beat the Barbarian at the Royal Rumble. And he is going to have those matches with Bobby Heenan one-on-one. And we're definitely going to capture some of those. So, like, he goes full, like, John Wick, Kill Bill, like, wow. whatever your revenge fantasy is. Like, he is going to do exactly what he says. He's going to plow through every henchman that Heenan has. And he is going to stick it to Heenan in the end. So, it's just a gorgeous feud. It really is. It is. And, again, it, it, it is – I keep saying – the boss man is a forerunner for Undertaker. Like this is where you take a gimmick, the right guy, the right gimmick, and they just exist in their own lane. Like it's always gonna be the same thing. Like the way that he's feuding with Bobby Heenan is similar to why he feuds with Ted DiBiase. You know, it's it's it's, it's his own uh, special um, attraction. And I didn't realize that so much happened with Bobby Heenan. So again. We got to give credit to Bobby Heenan, who is it's in the 90s now, and he is still, like, making people and helping people and, like, making angles bigger than they might otherwise be. So legendary Bobby Heenan, who, again, is going to have that savage treatment in a way where, like, oh, you know, he's kind of old. Put him in the booth or, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, with Heenan, it's a little different. He really did have to retire, I think. Yeah. A lot of neck damage, a lot of wear and tear. Um but still, like, he gets a last route here, which is really beautiful. And uh, I can't wait to talk even more about those segments as they come up. I'll just say with Big Boss Man, and I am going to get in this match because a lot of things I want to highlight. But before I do that, there are some wrestlers who, like, any match you can think of that they didn't have sounds like a dream match. We really got that with Vader, with a few other guys. And now I'm starting to feel that way with Big Boss Man because I was just thinking, man, did he wrestle The Undertaker? I know he will later at WrestleMania. It's like a totally different thing and people don't like it. I don't know. I've never seen it. So I'm going to put that aside. In this era, in like 91, 92, (laughs) God, I would love to see Big Boss Man versus Undertaker because I think there could be some awesome stuff there. Yeah, I I don't know why anyone would not want to see that, you know. Right, right. I, I have big questions because I've never seen their Hell in a Cell match at some WrestleMania. I forget which one. I know it's very panned. I have no idea. I've never seen it. Maybe I'll not like it. But it, on paper, like even older Big Boss Man versus Undertaker kind of sounds awesome to me. So we will see if I feel that way when we get there. That's a long ways away, but it will come in time. Have we talked about Bobby Heenan Jr.? No. What is that? <laughs> Uh, you, you're not going to like this. Uh, uh, <laughs> the WWF was set to bring Bruce Pritchard as Bobby oh, Heenan Jr. I have heard of that. Yes. Oh, yeah, he's going to be the son. They, I think they are already either doing vignettes or had it all planned out. And then just overnight, Vince called him up and was like, we're not going to do it. It's a bad idea. And just had flipped on it. 
Well, there's there's some credit to Vince, I guess. Um, we already talked about how Brother Love was like a poor replacement for Bobby Keenan, and that kind of seemed to be like the intention for him, maybe like his role. And of course, one good thing about Brother Love being Undertaker's manager is that will basically be it for him. He'll be quickly replaced. He'll be off TV, I think, and we won't have to deal with him anymore. So yeah, I am glad that didn't happen. I have heard of that. Sounds like a nightmare. So let's all be glad for a moment about that. Yeah, because I'm just trying to think, like, could you have Bobby Heenan be a manager as an announcer? Like, you know, because he can't be physical anymore, but, like, we're Rumble 92. He is still linked to somebody, and, you know, or I don't know if that would work. Would you need someone to get their hands on him eventually? Or, like, how would you pay him back if you can't beat him up? You know, mm. I'm just just trying to – because it just feels like – and maybe I'll change that. I'll wait and see how he does because he's going to be a great announcer, of course. But, like yeah. – when I see him in this segment, folks, I don't know how you can ever afford to let that go. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, Bobby Heenan was a great wrestler, actually. Uh, he will be a great announcer, but he will never contribute as greatly as he did as a manager. I think he is the greatest manager of all time. I don't think even, like, Jim Cornette or somebody can really top him in that conversation. Um, so that's all great. And it's funny, just what you say. One of the reasons, or so they say, Bobby Heenan retired is he knew he was too beat up. He couldn't really do these payoffs anymore. And if he couldn't do payoffs, he didn't want to manage because he mm. knew that was essential to the role. So he will he will kind of manage Flair from, like, the announce booth, but he will never really be at ringside with him, um, you know, with Luger, with other people he's associated with. He will keep his allegiances, but he will not manage. And that mm. was the reason, and I respect that, even though it makes yeah. me sad and Absolutely. He, he deserves that more like for the fact that Warrior still gets to beat him up after he hurt him, you know, is Jeez, yeah. Um, he, he has more to earn. Do whatever you want to do, Bobby Heenan. Absolutely. So. So. All right. To get to this match, which I really do love. And you're right that I, I, I probably love this more than more than most people even. But um, I think if you watch it, maybe you'll understand why um, we start off. Perfect. It's kind of like dodging around boss man. He's not wanting to get too involved in him. He ends up slapping him in the face, really starts playing keep away. And then it escalates quickly to big boss man who's not playing these games, just starts flat out chasing Mr. Perfect around the ring. And uh, you might expect, oh, Perfect will slide in the ring and, like, you know, tables will turn. But no, Bossman subverts that because he catches Perfect, he grabs him by the hair, and he just dumps him down on the back of his head. So we are already off to a very good start here. You're not going to outrun a cruiserweight. <laughs> not an IC guy. Oh, yes. I love this narrative with Boss Man. It's beautiful <laughs> stuff. And so a lot of this is him, like, showing up Mr. Perfect in ways that you, you might not expect. Because there's this beautiful moment where Boss Man is, like, Perfect's running at him. And Boss Man swings at him. Perfect does this fancy cartwheel and, like, totally dodges the attack. And he turns around all cocky. And Big Boss Man just, like knocks the shit out of him, like, the moment he turns around, and it's just, oh, it's beautiful. I love it. <sighs> it's, I mean, the funny thing is, Bossman can run and bump and move with Mr. Perfect, and Mr. Perfect can lose his temper and brawl and beat up with the big boss man. Yeah, yeah. They can both do what the other guy can do nearly as well, and both yeah. of them are, like, the best at the things that they do already, so it's really impressive stuff. It's a special visitation to put people of this much talent together. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, no, these matches, 
they're wonderful. Like, then you have Boss Man. I've never quite seen this, I think. At one point, Mr. Perfect is, like, down on his knees. Boss Man grabs him by his hair and drags him around, like, still on his knees, just all around the ring. And, like, I don't know how they did this without, like, Mr. Perfect should, like, pass out because it looks so painful, but it looks so good at the same time. It's it's just great stuff. About 7 out of 10 of, of the situations perfect has been in since since he's been on the rise i've never seen before yeah no i mean god he is one of my favorite guys ever and part of it is yeah like he is doing stuff that nobody else either can do or does do i don't even know what it is exactly but god he is like they named him right like mr perfect is about right for him so yeah because uh, bret hart still is coming into his maybe ball spin but who in this era has more trademark matches where you like you're in a mr perfect match when you're in a like who who's on that level right now yeah i probably no one it's, it's mr perfect at the top i think so that is a great point uh to that point he does one of my favorite um heel spots where he tries to slide out of the ring and actually yep. goes out in the corner and crotches himself there which is great and he sells it so well that's 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 vintage mr perfect as they yes. say i had that one though that's a great that's a great spot <laughs> So good. Um, you get a lot of great uh, boss man offense. He does an awesome backbreaker on point. A lot of great punches, of course, just like world caliber punches. But on the other side, too, Mr. Perfect, you think about bumping, you think about selling and like the things that he does. But at one point, he's just laying in body shots to the big boss man. If there's one thing I love, it is a good body shot because few people do them. And Mr. Perfect does them beautifully. And boss man sells them so well. And God, I could just I could talk all day about this match. I think. And you know, Perfect's got he's probably the guy who looks like it hurts the worst and probably hurts the least. Right, right. <laughs> he's got know, that Bobby so. Eaton flavor, absolutely. Whew. And one of my favorite things, like you said, is Heenan's not out there until way later. So you know, again, there's the ongoing nature. There's something going on. There's there's an urgency to all of this. Yeah, these guys are engaged in a way that the people at the top are not right now, and that really comes clear. Man, this is beautiful. I'm saying beautiful a lot, but I'm running out of, like, positive adjectives. There's this great segment where uh, Mr. Perfect, like, takes the, the, the turnbuckle cover off in the corner, and he's going to run Bossman into it. He gets him into the corner, and Bossman stops it. And it's very standard up to that point, but then, like, without turning around, Bossman just jerks his hand backwards, and just backhands Mr. Perfect to hell, and then mm. he takes him, and he bounces his head off the turnbuckle, and Perfect, like, the way he bounces out of that corner is not human. Like, a human shouldn't be able to do that. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah. And I think you sold me on, like, I watched the match, and now I think I like the match better. <laughs> uh, it's, I watched it, like, um, I kind of zoned out a little through the end of Survivor Series, and then, you know, I took a little break, and I watched this match, I knew he was going to like it, so I was very attentive to it. I think it's the kind of match where the closer you watch it, maybe the more you enjoy it. So, yes. so maybe there's uh, something to that. I watched it on the end with Survivor Series, so... Okay, okay, that could be it then. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm thinking... I want to see 1990-1991 Mr. Perfect versus 1991 Bobby Eaton. Ooh. Yeah, no, that would be some beautiful stuff. Or like a tag team, like that's 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 that could be above Midnight Express levels because these guys are birds of a feather for sure, and they yeah. just do some awesome stuff. Hey, I want to see 
uh, 91 uh, Bobby Eaton against the Big Boss Man also. So oh, there's another man. dream that's match. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. Big Boss Man will end it with an Alabama jam. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. But, God, just to see them punch each other, backbreak each other. Yeah. Oh, my God. It'd be amazing stuff. These are the top talents right now. Like Vince Van said, these are the guys who are going out there to make a difference. Oh, yeah. Nobody told these guys that the WWF already peaked and, like, they're still out there peaking. And, yeah. uh, you know, they're acting like it's 87 and they're conquering the world still instead of, like, everyone else got lazy. So, man. Whew. Um, so, can, go ahead. I said you can't count how much Bret Hart's going to benefit off of the energy of, like, what Roddy Piper's done in the past and what Mr. Perfect's doing right now when he enters that IC title division. So there are big consequences for this engagement. It's just not necessarily going to benefit um, Mr. Perfect himself. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Perfect, like, I'll be crying tears all over again at SummerSlam 91 because uh, that'll be it for this run. And that's way too soon for one of the best runs yeah. that anyone ever had going. Yeah, and he'll come back. And he'll have some good stuff, but he's never going to be the same as this, I don't think. No, I, I think he'll have great stuff in, in 93 with Ric Flair, with Bret Hart. Even farther down the line, he'll have some good stuff. But, yeah, no, it'll never quite be like this. You know, this is Randy Savage uh, in, like, 86 territory where you know he's going to have so much good stuff later. But, man, just, like, it's never exactly quite like it was when they were coming up the first time and really making mm -hmm. their legend. Well said. Uh, so, yes, Heenan uh, finally comes down when Big Boss Man is down and uh, seems like maybe he's almost out. He's going to come down and thinks he's just going to see the end of the match. <laughs> tries to do the perfect plex. But, God, this, this, Boss Man perfectly counters the perfect plex, if you will, with mm. that small package. And, God, that couldn't have looked smoother. That's another point in your favor that this guy, he could have been like any kind of cruiserweight, X Division, technical wrestler, anything that you want to say. Like, just it's picturesque the way he counters this perfect plex. Yeah, man, I love it. I also love what you just said about Bobby Heenan though, because this is, we've seen this already before. Like he comes out and he just demands perfect. Just wrap it up because the thing's <laughs> over. And I love that he never learns. Nope, he you know? does not. It's part of the charm of Bobby Heenan, absolutely. So. <laughs> Oh, God. So the match goes on a little farther. And I, I kind of mentioned it before, but at one point they are just exchanging punches to the face. And if you can find me a better punching exchange, like, please do, because there are very few, I think, out there. Like, you would not think in this era that two guys would just be, like, clobbering each other with closed fists in the face. Like, Steve Austin would come out and be like, hey, whoa, calm down, guys. You don't have to punch that much. So it's just, it's really cool. It's like beyond its era, I think. I need to rewatch this match. <laughs> I highly encourage everyone rewatch this match. If you've seen it before, watch it for the first time. If you haven't, give it your full attention. It really deserves it. Um, in the end, Big Boss Man kicks out of the perfect plex, uh, which you think might bother me, but I love the way he sells it because he barely kicks out. He can barely stand. He's selling so hard. You really feel like he's just being propelled by, like, his need for revenge here. Mm -hmm. uh, he really treats it like it matters. Uh, Bobby Heenan tries to help out. He accidentally uh, pulls the rope down and Perfect falls out of the ring. Bossman grabs it. Heenan, Heenan slaps him in the face and flees. And that uh, that is enough for Big Bossman to follow him out and get counted out for a, a very, very good conclusion to an amazingly good match. Absolutely. It is... Um... 
peak performance by everybody involved. Bobby Heenan running in the back and baseball sliding across the floor. Oh my God. Uh, the desperation, the urgency. Uh, Gene Erkeland in the back trying to do um, an interview, and Bobby Heenan breaks in with his hair standing up, just frantic, falls on his knees. And this, folks, is how you know babyface privilege is real because when the heels become desperate enough, they turn to the baby faces because they know the baby faces have authority and power and connection that they don't have. So Bobby Heenan is saying, you could stop this. You could go to the boss man. You could go to Jack Tunney. So admitting that Gene Erkelin could do things that could get things stopped that Bobby Heenan as a heel cannot do. So it's just sheer desperation. He might as well be pulling on the pant leg of Gene Erkelin. And you know from their relationship, he's getting no mercy from Gene Oakland. So what would put him on the knees? Because he's so weasel right now. This is not brain. This is weasel. He's frantic. He's desperate. He slid his way there. He is trying to get help, but he also knows there is no help to be had. It is fantastic. It is MVP level character work. And the man should have won an Emmy. Absolutely. So the the physical panic and desperation of Heenan mm. is amazing. As you said, the way he slides across that floor haphazardly, recklessly, just not caring about anything but escaping is great. Falling on his hands and knees. The physical commitment of Bobby Heenan, a guy 46 years old, so much wear and tear in the ring, a bad neck, nerve damage, all this stuff. The way he commits to this is incredible. And then, yes, the emotional content the verbal panic the way he appeals to gene okerland and this is beautiful because the way he still says i did nothing wrong <laughs> it's amazing it's so good it is why there is nobody like bobby heenan nobody else sells it quite like this this is great this is this is a true heel to me you have so many heels who want to be cool who want to be like badass this is what heel to me like sell me like this when the chips are down and man, you will make a fan of me. This, this is the, the, the core of wrestling right here. Absolutely. Cause he says at least two things. I did nothing wrong and I apologize. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, it's brilliant stuff. It's so good. It's, um, Oh, there's a, one of my favorite movies and this might be obscure for some people. One of my favorite movies is a movie called death proof. And uh, for a lot of this movie, the bad guy is a guy and he like uh, stalks women and he kills them with his car and he acts like really badass and really cool. And at the end, some of these women come together and they put him on the back foot and they hurt him. And it's incredible. One of my favorite things about the movie is as soon as he something bad happens to him, he starts screaming and he's like an animal in a trap and every aspect that could have been cool about him is gone. Like his dignity flies out the window mm -hmm. the minute he is in panic for himself. And that, that is so perfect. That is epitomized here as well. God, that's just good storytelling. It's good character. It's how you evoke emotion in people watching because there's just something about that that hits home. It's wonderful stuff. I can't stress enough. I don't care about the rest of the main event. You can watch it. You cannot. But watch this match. It's so good. The the stuff before, the stuff after. This feud is one of my favorite things in wrestling. Yeah. If you put Bobby Heenan, Mr. Perfect, or Bossman 
in a fusion, you get 50 to 70% out of them, you've done a good job. If you put all three of them in a, a program together and you max them out in it, like, why would you not watch that? Oh, my God. Woo. So, yeah, that um, I was I was lagging a little at the end of Survivor Series, but I'm feeling very revitalized now about uh, what's to come with that good Royal Rumble card, with the good stuff that's happening. It's not going to be perfect, but I want to believe that we're maybe over kind of the weakest bits here. Yeah, I have high hopes for that Royal Rumble, uh, especially accidentally uh, clicking on 90 Royal Rumble. It looks a lot better. So uh, <laughs> I'm excited. Let's see what happens. You know, some good folks to put in the singles matches and tag matches. And then it's sort of like Mr. Sand says, a Royal Rumble. So, you know, those are always fun. Oh, it's going to be good stuff. Between 90 and 92, it's maybe like the weaker brother nestled in the middle there. But there's still going to be some really good stuff. It's still a really good Rumble um, no, it's going to be a great show next time. Whew. Uh, anything else we want to go over before we wrap up here? No, that's it for me. I'm, I'm excited to enter also the year that I started watching professional wrestling, 1991. That is one of the best years memory wise in my life. So I'm happy for that. Uh, that's, that's some great stuff. Absolutely. Um, next week we will have that Royal Rumble. It'll be very good. After that, I believe we may be doing the Dusty Retrospective. Mm. After that, uh, some episode of the main event or Saturday's main event, something. And, uh, we will catch up on, I think, a lot of great bonus material to prepare for a very interesting WrestleMania. So, man, we got like the next four episodes are looking real good at least. And then, uh, and then we're really going to get into the good stuff after yeah. that, maybe even more. So we got a great run coming up ahead of us. So, uh, thank you for listening to the show. Hope you'll join us for all those future shows. If you want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I am at Spectral Gent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Also, wrestlingheadlines.com, lopforums.com. A lot of great written material. Check that out. Check out the writing tournament that's going on in the forums right now. A lot of great, great quality stuff being written there. And also all the other great programs on LOP Radio, including uh, the winner of the best LOP radio personality, The Implications, who is really just the most delightful man that I think you ever will have a chance to listen to. And he covers a wide variety of stuff. So check out him. Check out all our other contributors. So much good stuff going on. That is all we've got. Uh, Until next time, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen 
undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared and salty tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up 